Telling these tears going far away, far away. Oh, may the last one burn into flame. the CIA claiming all kinds of violations, um, including the violation of the search and seizures. And the CIA met us with an op opposition, a motion to um, dismiss, claiming they can't be sued. And one of their main focuses on the motion to dismiss is that the allegations that were made are just insufficient. We couldn't really, the plaintiffs couldn't draw a nexus to bring the CIA into this uh, as a defendant because um, under Iqbal, which is a U.S. Supreme Court case dated 2009, you need you need concrete facts upon which you're going to rely to prove that the CIA and Mike Pompeo were actually involved in this totally inappropriate conduct. In the complaint, we did allege that Mike Pompeo, when he was first uh, actually um, anointed as director of the CIA, in his very first speech, he called Julian Assange and WikiLeaks a non-state hostile intelligence service. And it was very clear from the onset that he actually had an, a, 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 real, uh, a real grind with Mr. Assange and WikiLeaks. We also allege in the complaint that, in fact, we believe, some of which is upon information and belief, that UC Global, which, which is essentially a, a, a company that does um, searches and does um, security and the cia met and the cia essentially hired uc global to in fact um have it provide the cia information that was going on in, in the ecuadorian embassy in london the allegations were in the complaint uh we believe them to be true and we um are there and the motion to dismiss essentially provides in part that um we have not alleged sufficient information um number one is we think we have but what's come out in the last several weeks is, um, for lack of a better word, explosive. And by that I mean, as all of you know, there's a parallel lawsuit going on in Spain, in Madrid, in which um, it, it involves many of the same people, including the CIA and UC Global. And what we've learned from the press, El País is a, a, a main Spanish press. They have been following this litigation closely. What we've learned as recently as this week is that there, are, there is information that was provided to the court by UC Global to lead us to conclude that the CIA was actively involved in the solicitation of UC Global to, in fact, um, have it engage in its, in its inappropriate conduct. And the reason why we know that is because documents were turned over in Spain 
And we've had, uh, we've, we've been, if you read the El Pais press, you will see, as we see again this week, and there, there's articles coming out every week, that there are files, there are actually CIA files at UC Global. There's all kinds of things going on at, 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 in the Spanish proceeding. So for the CIA to allege that, in fact, we don't have that nexus is somewhat, um, call it naive or, 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 or just um, call it wrong of it. Um, so what we've done is, with the motion to dismiss that was filed a couple months ago today, we filed a papers in opposition to the motion to dismiss that said, number one, um, the CIA and Pompeo can't get out of, out of this so quickly. Number two, we have a nexus. We've shown the nexus in the complaint. And number three, um, to the extent we don't have a nexus, we now have information from the press in Madrid, which will give us more than ample information to amend the complaint if necessary and give very excruciating details of how the CIA, yes, our Central Intelligence Agency, was actively involved in, 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 in learning information, wrongfully learning information against Julian Assange. And the irony here, the ultimate irony here, is that Julian Assange is, was, is imprisoned in a maximum security facility in Belmarsh in London, and he was in the Ecuadorian embassy because the CIA blamed him for wrongfully, for engaging in wrongful information when it in fact is engaging, in, when it in fact is doing far worse than he ever did as a publisher. So the reason why this case is important is not only because these, these individual plaintiffs' rights were violated uh, because they were in the embassy, but it really, the, 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 the entire theme here puts a very big scare on any reporter. Any investigative reporter who gets information should not have to worry about the CIA coming after it for disclosing that information. It's done every day with Fox News. It's done every day with the New York Times. And it's done, and it was done all the time with WikiLeaks. So we are in a fight. Uh, but what's the reason for the, the today's press release, press conference, is number one, we put papers in. And number two, what we're learning from the Spanish courts is, quite frankly, startling. Um, I will turn it over to Deb because Deb is the plaintiff, has been actively involved, also a lawyer. And and what we're learning from the El Pais articles is is not only startling, but it's very troubling that our CIA is doing this to our citizens and others. Uh, Deb, I'll turn it over to you. Unmute. Hi, I'm Deborah Herbeck. I'm a media lawyer, not a media reporter, unfortunately. It was my dream to be a reporter, but I'm only a lawyer. Um, so we started this action in August of 2015, um, basically as a result of the revelations from El Pais, which is essentially, as many of you know, um, Spain's uh, paper of record. And um, the the initial revelations were, were uh, interesting enough that um, came as a result of whistleblowers in a private criminal prosecution that was is still pending. Um, in front of uh, the High Court in Spain. And uh, basically, whistleblowers from UC Global reported uh, uh, on the fact that, um, uh, that, that David Morales was, was, had been um, engaged by the CIA and had, um, was basically acting as an agent of the CIA as they ramped up the... Uh, in the uh, surveillance that was underway at the Ecuador embassy when Julian Assange um, was there. And um, the most, the more recent revelations from just this past Sunday's El Pais article um, that Richard alluded to, we suspect are just the tip of the iceberg. 
Um, in that article, it was uh, it turned out that after two years of plowing through um, disclosures, uh, the um, it became apparent. Uh, through sort of a, a, a glitch, it became apparent that over 210 gigabytes of information that had been um, seized during a raid of UC Global's office immediately following um, uh, Mr. Morales' arrest, uh, the, uh, they had been not, not turned over as they were required to be in the, in the Spanish criminal proceedings against UC Global and David Morales. Um, so this is new, entirely new information, which um, the uh, the media is just starting to um, dig into, and um, the uh, we suspect there'll be a lot a lot more to come. Um, the uh, and the, the 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 interesting thing to me is that uh, in the the CIA and Mr. Pompeo, who uh, are the defendants in our case, are alleging that um, they, that. They have nothing to do with this little uh, Spanish firm run by a sort of mercenary rogue, uh, David Morales, who um, were wholly engaged by the Ecuadorian government um, just to provide security. And if they went off the reservation, that was nothing to do with the CIA. Uh, if you actually look at the timeline of some critical events in December of 2017, we'll see that that is absolutely impossible that that's the case. Um, Essentially, what happened was that, uh, and really, uh, an even better uh, source for this is an earlier, as there was a mini, uh, a short documentary produced by El País that came out just a few weeks ago um, that I would urge everyone to find. But basically, in that uh, documentary, we see um, the uh, prior, it wasn't really known widely before, um, but essentially, in December of 2021, I mean, sorry, December of 2017, um, Things were heating up, and Ecuador uh, wanted to help um, Mr. Assange leave the embassy, which it, because it was interminable what was going on there. And um, what they did was they secretly uh, hatched a plan to um, grant him citizenship, bestow diplomatic status, um, so that he could leave the embassy under the protection of the diplomatic status that would be bestowed upon him, which other. Uh, countries are required to respect under the Vienna Convention, and um, and therefore they enable him to leave the embassy and get out of the UK safely and to a country that um, he could uh, act as a diplomat and live freely. Um, that uh, happened on um, December twenty first, twenty seventeen. Um, as on the very same day, a criminal, an international criminal arrest warrant was issued by the D U.S. Department of Justice. Um, and was delivered the following day on December 22nd, 2017, to um, the government of Ecuador to tell them that the UK, this is the Americans telling Ecuador that the UK would not be um, respecting the, um, or acknowledging or respecting uh, the diplomatic status to be conferred on uh, Julian Assange. And this basically scuttled the plan. He was to leave on Christmas Day, 20, uh, December 25th, 2017, and that just could not happen because it was made very clear by the UK and the US government that uh, to Ecuador that um, that uh, he would be arrested if he left the embassy, despite um, the sovereign nation's bestowing of a diplomatic uh, status on him. And really interesting, we have an admission by one of the defendants, um, Michael Pompeo, in a recent memoir in January of this year. His memoir came out, and on page 227, 
um, he talks about how on December 23rd, 2017, two days after the, um, uh, they learned of the, um, the plan for Mr. Assange to leave the embassy, uh, one day after the, um, the uh, arrest warrant had been delivered, uh, the, uh, <laughs> Mr. Pompeo says that he was sitting with his family and um, perusing, as you do, I suppose, um, the CIA guidelines on extrajudicial killings. Now, this taken together with Michael Isikos' article in September of 2021 in Yahoo News um, that documented very thoroughly um, that the CIA was planning to um, uh, kidnap or even assassinate Mr. Assange shows that uh, this was not a rogue Spanish private security company. They had a, no, nobody I know has a direct line to the DOJ and the CIA and be able to get that kind of um, information into the sort of hands that can turn around an international arrest warrant that quickly. It just doesn't add up. Um, so with, with, with that, I um, ask you to please um, keep an eye on El Pais. Um, they've been doing some fantastic reporting and we really hope uh, that the American press starts paying attention. It's the responsibility of our press in the United States to hold our government to account. And it is shameful how uh, appalling the coverage has been in the mainstream media in the United States. Thank you, Trevor. And before Thank Ben goes, much. let me just tell everyone, I put in the chat the, the English version of the El Pais article. You can see it. Um, it just came out and it essentially says that there's more than 250 extra gigabytes of files relating to the surveillance of, of WikiLeaks were um, finally found. And it goes through how Mr. Morales at UC Global had files on his laptop that were called CIA. The CIA disclaims any connection with UC Global, yet produced in Spain are UC Global's files that have CAA on it. And the article is very, very, uh, it, it provides a lot of information. And um, we believe there's a lot, as Deb said, there's a lot more to come. It's, it's, it's not a good look for our agency, <laughs> for the CIA. Um, with that, I want to turn it over to Ben Cohen, who's been a longtime activist uh, and, and supporter of Julian and has visited him inside the, the embassy in London. Uh, ben, why don't you say a few words? Sure. Uh, you know, this is yet another example of the illegal activities our government is undertaking to punish a publisher that revealed illegal government activities. So the government undertakes illegal activities, somebody reveals them, and then the government will take more uh, illegal activities to silence that person. You know, my understanding is that the purpose of a free press is to hold government accountable. It's not about clicks, it's not about hits, it's about uh, getting the truth out there. And in this case of Julian Assange, uh, I always thought that you're innocent until proven guilty. But in this particular situation, Julian Assange is already being published, uh, is already being punished. In this, in this situation, Julian's already being punished despite the fact that he's never been convicted. He's been in uh, solitary confinement for four years. Uh, according to 
most any authority, uh, the World Health Organization, the UN, uh, the Association of Prison Physicians, keeping someone in solitary confinement for over two years, uh, um, excuse me, keeping someone in solitary confinement for over two weeks is torture. And he's been in solitary confinement for four years. Uh, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, the what what England has done previously in terms of holding people awaiting extradition, there's another good example of uh, the Chilean dictator Pinochet, who actually did commit war crimes, and he was allowed to remain in a mansion under house arrest. So for some reason, they're treating Julian quite differently. And clearly what they're trying to do is to make an example of him and say that uh, any journalist anywhere in the world, regardless of what country you're a citizen of, if the U.S. doesn't like what you've published, the U.S. can then prosecute you. That's absurd. I mean, that's the end of government accountability. So, and then you have the actual situation of what Julian did. I mean, he revealed war crimes. We know who the people are who committed those war crimes, and yet they get off scot-free while the person who revealed them is in is being tortured uh kind of an open and shut case of shoot the messenger Thanks, so man. you're welcome no no keep going i just i agree <laughs> thank you i didn't mean to interrupt <laughs> well i just wanted to finish with that biden likes to say that he believes in freedom of the press and he'll grandstand and make all these pronouncements about condemning other countries around the world that are throwing journalists in prison for printing the truth or printing information that a particular government doesn't like. Biden neglects to mention that his administration is seeking to put a journalist in prison for printing the truth and keep him there for the rest of his life. You know, Obama refused to do that because of what he called the New York Times problem. If we needed to, if we were going to prosecute Assange, he'd need to prosecute the New York Times and any other publication that publishes information like that. So he refused to do it. Then Trump came into office and he said, well, I'm going to prosecute Assange. He had a pretty freewheeling interpretation of the law. And now Biden is just following in Trump's footsteps. So this is an opportunity for the free press of the world to hold the U.S. accountable for this grave injustice. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, with that, um, we're going to open it up for some questions. Um, for any, anybody, any journalist out there who has a question for our guests, please let me know in the chat. 
Um, our first question is going to go to Joe Loria from Consortium. Joe? Thank you very much, Trevor. It's question, uh, two questions for Richard Roth. First, I'm not sure that the actual contract that Morales and UC Global may have signed with the CIA has surfaced in discovery. Is that important that he was paid for it or it's simply working uh, to surveil Assange in the embassy on behalf of the CIA? Is that enough? And secondly, if I read the CIA's motion to dismiss correctly, they're not only talking about the fail your failure to provide that secure nexus, which is new information that's emerged certainly bolsters for your on your part. But are they also questioning jurisdiction? that this took place on Ecuadorian territory inside the United Kingdom. Uh, is that something you're addressing? And could you talk about that issue of jurisdiction as well as the contract? Thank you. Sure, sure. A uh, bunch of questions there. Um, let me deal with the jurisdiction first. Um, yeah, I'm not worried. Jurisdiction is not a problem because, quite frankly, we have, and, and it's in the complaint, we have proof that the CIA's New York office actually was involved in, it, at least as, as alleged, in the um, wrongful conduct, and we have two plaintiffs who actually are, are, are New York residents. So I'm not really, I'm not worried about jurisdiction. The CIA, there's jurisdiction against them in all states as well as Pompeo. Um, as far as the contract, um, we don't know if there's actually a written contract between the CIA and UC Global. I would suspect there wouldn't be. I don't think there's going to be, you're going to spy on Assange and we're going to pay you for it. I don't think that exists, but what we, we don't need that. When you, when you, Look at contract law. You really look at the actions of the parties. The actions of the parties are so much more important. I may not sign a contract, but if I, if I provide you 10 bricks a day for 10 days, you know that was my, my, your right and my obligation. It's the same thing here. If you see Global has, has CIA files and is doing surveillance of Assange, with, for, why, would they, why would they have CIA files? They're not, there's no relationship but for the fact that they're a surveillance company and the CIA wants them to, to surveil them. So what we're learning is, and what we're going to continue to learn from El Pais, the Spanish proceeding, is that in fact, whether there's a formal agreement or, or not is irrelevant. If in fact the CIA employed UC Global, and yes, we're going to also look at financial statements and financial documents as well. If, if the CIA employed UC Global, um, no matter what way, and that and the UC Global was providing, as we understand it, direct feed. Not only were they taking the imaging, the, the, the laptops, but they're providing direct feed to Washington. Could you imagine you join Assange's meetings with his criminal defense lawyer to defend a case against the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington? And Washington is listening to the conversation he has with his lawyer I mean, you want to talk about violating the Fourth Amendment. You want to talk about violating the attorney-client privilege. So once we find that and we have clear indicia that it's there, we believe that the court is going to allow us to amend the complaint. And this amended complaint is going to be very strong because every single week, El Pais comes out with more and more and more information. And if we have to petition the Spanish court to get that directly ourselves, we will. But there's a lot of evidence already. There's, there's, a, there's a, a mountain of evidence showing the CIA was intimately involved and, in fact, directed UC Global. So if that's not enough to hold the CIA accountable, I, I don't know what is. Thank you. Um, folks, I just want to let people know that I have put in the chat to everyone um, our motion in opposition to the CIA's motion to dismiss. So that is in the chat for everybody because I, I recognize that's, as Ed Pilkington, that's the, and that's and the let, me, and let, let me say one more thing. 
clearly um, the laws are, it's very hard to sue the U.S. government. Uh, the CIA, you name the agency, it's hard. There's exemptions, there's immunities, and the CIA has loaded their motion with all those, and it's an obstacle we're going to have to overcome. There is a chance that the court says, you know what, you haven't overcome those obstacles. We do believe that from this more new information we've obtained under Iqbal and other cases, that we believe that the court will will deny the motion. Uh, but it's it's you know the, the the government does make it hard to be. It's hard to sue the government. There's no question about it. If I could just add one point on that, uh, the issue of um, the, the proof about the CIA having um, turned Morales into an agent, um, as alleged in our complaint, um, this all happened in early January 2017 when there was a, when Morales went to a uh, convention uh, for private social security firms in Las Vegas. And um, our, um, uh, what seems very clear from the evidence that we've seen uh, is that he was um, he was bragging about the fact that he had the contract from the Ecuador government to provide security at the embassy where Julian Assange was then staying and, and under uh, his having sanctuary. And um, he was turned into an agent then by uh, uh, the security team that was uh, engaged by um, Las Vegas Sands. Um, uh, Cheldon Adelson was a known... Um, a close colleague of the um, then president, um, Mr. Trump, and um, the uh, very, very, if you want to go down a good rabbit hole, have a look at the, um, there's a very similar um, situation that happened in Macau some years ago, when the, around the same time, actually, just a couple of years before, when the, uh, and heavily reported in The Guardian, when the Las Vegas Sands was used by the CIA to um, basically provide cover for the for its activities by turning local security agencies into um, uh, agents of the CIA. So there's, this is, this is their MO. This is what they do. They don't sign contracts. They, 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 they do things covertly. We also have uh, very significant uh, affidavits that were accepted by the, the uh, extradition court saying that they were whistleblowers. They're not mentioned because they're afraid that their names come out who were working for UC Global who testified that in fact that, that Morales was bragging about his relationship to the CIA consistently. They also have a number of other connections that they make that is very significant. So when we started out with this, we didn't have this kind, the evidence that we have now, but we did have the testimony of two people who worked for UC Global who said that Morales was working with the CIA. Okay, thank you very much, Margaret. Um, we have a couple more questions. Um, uh, Turek. Do you want to go ahead and ask? Can you unmute yourself if you're muted? Can you hear me now? Yeah, now we can. Okay. Uh, thanks, Trevor. And thank you all for your uh, presentation today. Uh, yeah, my name is Tarek Haddad. I'm a journalist based in London. I've been following the case for the last three years, um, following the court proceedings as well as the um, the actual spat of what's going on in Spain. Um, Deborah just alluded to it there, um, the company Las Vegas Sands. Um, my question is in relation to this. Obviously, those of you that are familiar with what's happened in this case will know that Las Vegas Sands is, seems to be an integral part of this whole uh, spying operation. And they're obviously a um, US firm, um, fit, formerly owned by um, Sheldon Adelson. I just was curious why uh, they're absent from the litigation. Richard, you're muted. you're muted. I missed that. You, I mean, what was the end of that question? Why? What? 
They're, I can they're not included it. in the yeah. um, in the litigation at all. Um, they're not mentioned. They're not a defendant. They, our action is in New York, and they don't have a New York presence. Hmm. And quite frankly, I mean, if 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 the location where a deal was struck was a Sands, I don't really care where the location which what the location is. I care about the people that struck the deal, and that's what really we're we're going after. Really, we're going to, if you will, to the tar to the to the the heart of the um of the matter, which is against the uh, individuals and entities that decided to engage in this, um, for lack of a better word, espionage on their own citizens. We would have loved to have sued Sheldon Adelson if we've been able to. Okay, that's great. Anna, Anna Breeze, I see she has a question for everyone. Does democracy need some secrets? You're muted, you're muted. There she is. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited about citizen journalism, mobile journalism. It's, you know, we all have a voice. We can all make a difference. But I'm so excited about what I'm doing, what I'm doing in terms of um, enabling and empowering people with their mobiles. So I, I do have a question to ask in relation to uh, Assange, because I was involved in this many years ago. And it was always Russia Today. It was always Russia Today that was looking after Assange, and I felt a bit uncomfortable about that. Um, I'm, I'm completely going back to the ground, hyperlocal, immobilizing um, and empowering citizen journalists with mobile journalism. You, we're all, we've all got a voice, we all matter, but I'm, I'm trying to bring it right back down to the people hyperlocal, the communities. Um, I don't know Julian Assange. I don't know him. I've written to him in prison. Um, I haven't had a reply. What I would say is we're all, we all care about the truth. We all care about that movement. But we're all, with, a, with the advent of AI and deep fakes, I'm finding it very difficult to build trust when I don't know any of you. I don't know any of you. I only know the people I meet. I know the people I meet here immediately. Um, and I also am very passionate about mobile journalism, citizen journalism. So my, my concern is how do we organize ourselves? Does democracy have to have some secrets? And has Julian Assange, this is a challenge. It is a difficult and painful challenge. Does, has Julian Assange destroyed democracy? I'm going to say no. <laughs> um, even if, which we can dif disagree or agree on whether democracy needs secrets, um, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks published verified newsworthy information that was amplified by five major uh, international uh, papers of record in five different countries. So I think that um, if you, you know, whether or not you trust the source, the um, media such as the New York Times, um, Washington Post, sorry, and um, uh, The Guardian, Der Spiegel, that perhaps you do have more trust of, they verified and uh, further, you know, they, did, they wouldn't have reported his information without making sure that it was accurate. So he's not in jail for destroying democracy. Julian's in jail for publishing verified newsworthy information that you only heard about because other mainstream journalists and publications got it out there. 
Um, so that's what we're talking how, about is whether he should be in jail how, for that. How does, how does democracy look when we are allowing secrets to be shared? How is how does that work? So, so I have a couple. Of, I, I, I can, you can approach it two different ways. One way to approach it is how does a reporter, how does it, what is it, how does an investigative reporter draw a line on what they should publish? If an investigative reporter gets some information, gets Donald Trump's tax returns, which the New York Times got, should it not publish it because it got it? It shouldn't have gotten it. And the concern I have is that people like you shouldn't have that test. You shouldn't have to say, do I report this? Will I get in trouble with the authorities? Absolutely. That's, and that's a real risk to the First Amendment in this country. So that's sort of one way to approach it. You, If you get something and you think it's newsworthy, then you should have a right to publish it. And that's what makes people nervous that 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 this whole this whole onslaught on Julian Assange puts we're, the first we're in, a, right risk. we're in a really difficult place because we have brands we have brands big brands Fox News BBC ITV big brands and then we have individuals and you've seen what's happening with Tucker Carlson at the moment on Twitter he has seventy million he he's totally transforming what's happening in terms of media and trust so we have big brands. Uh, organizations and we have individuals so do we trust the individual or do we trust the organization that's the question well I, I and I, I listen I I do believe democracy does have secrets I mean there are secrets in the government but the press shouldn't have if something comes out of a, a historical event whether it be a president or any anyone in any country the press shouldn't have this but who's this gonna limit. who's gonna who's gonna tell the story who is gonna be the person to reveal this massive story the answer is oh, whoever it goes to on your end and you shouldn't be you shouldn't no, be no it, it's all about who has the most trust to reveal the story so assange has power you have power we all have power who has enough power to tell the story about this big reveal well that's that's now so now we're blend you're right because now we're blending in this whole fake news element all these all these little people are coming out with news stories which are just ridiculous and so when as deb said five legitimate sources confirm that what he said was accurate and stand by him and as recently as i think two months ago i think there were was it seven or eight different international newspapers came out and said what are we doing with yes i work i work for the bbc i work for itv who cares who comes out with their story who is going to reveal the story is it going to be Tucker carlson is it going to be the bbc is it going to be um uh what was we had some incredible stories coming out from um uh what was it uh project veritas project veritas who is going to be the yeah. story you know is it assange who is going to reveal Again, Anna, I don't, I, 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 I don't want to cut you off, and I don't mean to be rude. We only have a few minutes left because of the allotted time for the Zoom. So I need to go to some other people who have questions. Please accept my apology. Um, okay, I have uh, a question from. Uh, uh, well, can, can can folks just talk a little bit more about David Morales? This is coming from a few uh, journalists. What is the, the significance of him? What, tell us a, a little bit about him. David Morales is the CEO. Deb, you want to take that? Global. Deb, you want to sure. take that? Um, yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he was, he was CEO of, of um, 
UC Global, which was a tiny, tiny, tiny uh, private security uh, company in Spain before it ended up um, getting this gig. Um, it, it had literally um, two very small contracts from the Ecuador government. And, um, and then all of a sudden, it's, uh, his, he, 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 was, he was a former Marine, I believe. I know he was in the military. Um, he uh, sort of a mercenary kind of a guy. Uh, when he went to the Las Vegas Sands shot convention in 2017, that, that's what we sudden, want to hear. Yeah. All of a sudden, his um, fortunes seemed to change. Uh, he started jet-setting around. He came to the United States 64 times in the two years subsequent to that, uh, having uh, apparently to practicing his English when, when asked why he had to make so many journeys to the United States from Spain all of a sudden. Um, people noticed he was driving fancy cars. Um, he, he, um, he, he, he just all of a sudden got lucrative contracts in uh, Central and South America. Um, so... Uh, the Ecuador government wasn't giving him that kind of access. So that's who he is. He's a mercenary. Um, okay. Somebody was paying him handsomely for doing this. Thank you, Deb. Um, we have a question from William Goodwin. He has a question. He says, what is the hardest that has emerged that the CIA was involved in UC Global? What goes beyond circumstantial evidence of the CIA's role in the case? Is it the files named CIA on Morales' computers, or is there something else? So uh, let we me just Go ahead, Deb. You could start. Deb, go well, ahead. we suspect there's a lot more because these files were just turned over um, very recently, a week or two ago. So, um, and there's 210 plus gigabytes of information there. And these were deliberately withheld by the Spanish police. So we suspect that in those 210 gigabytes, there's a lot more. Uh, this was the okay. first thing that was discovered. And, that and, and it including, was including communications. Uh, we expect to see yeah. communications between UC Global and somebody at the CIA. And yep. so we think there's a lot there. You don't have a CIA. I don't have a CIA file on my desk. I mean, yep. why do you need a CIA file unless you put documents in it? So that's where we're going. Okay. Stefania, you've been waiting. Do you have a question? You're, you need to unmute yourself. Can you hear me? Can you hear yes. me? <laughs> so good, <clears throat> good afternoon. I'm an Italian journalist. I have been working on this case for the last 14 years on all documents I have been spied, etc. I want to ask, is there any solid evidence that all data of all, all of us were uh, basically copied by UC Global? I'm asking because my phone was opening too, but I have no evidence that my data were actually um, copied. When you went and met with Assange. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, um, we, your, we suspect we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll find solid data. I mean, the, what we do have is photographic evidence of the backs of cell phones being um, taken off, photographs of the SIM cards, photographs of the IMEI, which is only inside the phone. Yeah. That is a very weird thing for a private security agency to be doing if they're not actually getting at the data or trying to hack the phone. And, and, and to add to that, to Margaret's yes. point earlier, one of the reasons why this case was started is because we had two people who were at UC Global who were very uncomfortable yeah. in doing what they were doing. So we have sworn affidavits where they essentially provided a detailed map of what they were doing and why they were doing it, which is what led to this really, this whole lawsuit. Because all of a sudden we said, wait a minute, we were in, you know, they were in the embassy. 
So yes, there's there's real evidence, and we expect there's a lot more. Can I just add one very quick information? My phone was opening to in a precise moment, December 2017, one month after I had discovered the destruction of key documents by the Crown Prosecution Service, which is the interface of the US Department of Justice in the extradition. And uh, after six years, this uh, week, last week, the London Tribunal basically issued an order to the Crown Prosecution Service to provide any information on the destruction of documents or to, and if they don't comply, they risk um, basically contempt proceedings. They have to comply by 23rd of June. And this happened one month after I was, I was, I discovered this destruction. My phone was unscrewed. Crazy. It's just, you know, it shows you the power. We, we would not know any of this, but for what's going on in Spain. I mean, we are um, learning every day. We're learning every day and there are additional hearings, there's additional productions and, and the Spanish lawyers are, go, are, are going through this closely because we um, would never know any of these facts. This would all been, we would have been, it would all been concealed from us, but for the fact that UC Global and the Spanish courts want to know what, what the heck went on here. Um, Amelia Bootlin, I hope I'm pronouncing that way, has a question for folks. What is the timeline and judicial procedure ahead regarding this case? Uh, so that's a fair question. <laughs> Courts, things in New York never go, in the U.S. never go that quickly. Um, the There will be reply papers filed by the uh, government. They will probably be filed. Um, they're due in a month. They may want more time. We will probably have a decision on this motion um, sometime by i would say the fall maybe early fall maybe even late fall maybe even winter uh there's some very serious issues that the court has to address and the court understands the significance of these issues so um once we get a decision by the court either granting the motion to dismiss in which case the case is over or granting the motion to dismiss and letting us replead in which case we'll file a new complaint or denying the motion to dismiss, we will then start discovery. These cases will not be going, this case will not be going to trial until probably at least a year from now. Okay. Sean Waterman from Newsweek, you have a question. Sean, are you there? Hey. Hello. Sorry. Hey there, Sean. Um, yeah, so my question, I'm, I'm sorry, I was a little late joining, so sorry if you already covered this, but um, can you talk about the uh, public statements made by Pompeo in his autobiography and elsewhere since uh, the original complaint was filed and what impact that might have on the case? That Pompeo statements. Um, Deb, you want to talk about the what's in the memoir? He wrote a book. You can go to Barnes and Noble and buy it. Um, and he says some very revealing things. I'm not sure if you heard what Deb said earlier about the timeline. Um, 
but um, it's somewhat startling that he was um, almost on Christmas Eve looking into what was it that extrajudicial um, assassination the guidelines on extrajudicial killings um, by the CIA that we have guidelines for those evidently um, and he specifically stated uh, that he was looking at those uh, documents right a days a day after um, the plan for the Ecuador plan to bring Julian to safety was um, scuttled. Other than that, he really has not said a lot. He really does not. He's about to announce his run for presidency, so he's staying as far away from this as possible. Okay, I have another question. Can U.S. complainant finance, ask for financial investigations on UC Global finances? So check where the money came from. I'm not sure if I understand that. Can you say that again, Trevor? Stefania, hook me up. She says, I want to, can U.S. complainants ask for financial investigations? Oh, okay, in okay. So, yes. So we are, um, as plain, the plaintiffs are entitled to discovery. Uh, is, should the court deny the motion? The CIA is a defendant. So we are entitled to discovery from UC Global and CIA to look at financial documents, to look and see what money was exchanged by, from the CIA to UC Global for its services. Um, we also hope to get them in Spain. Um, we hope that, 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 that those are some of the documents we're going to see. Now, are you going to see a deposit from the CIA? Most likely not. And it's going to involve a little tracing. But we do believe that there were significant payments made to UC Global and Morales by the CIA or on behalf of the CIA. Um, <clears throat> I have another question, I think, for everybody, especially for Deb and Richard. Um, can the speakers address in more detail what is it in the new filing and how, that, that really is going to take the story forward? I, yeah, I mean, I take start it, with it, that. I mean, to start. Deb, ladies first. Ladies first. Um. All right. Well, I mean, the uh, the the the, the we should be clear that this is um, the, the primary purpose of the filing is opposing the um, motion to dismiss, which is you know basically making the point that we did allege quite thoroughly in our initial complaint which was, as Margaret said, based on um, sworn testimony by UC Global employees that they were, in fact, acting under the orders of the CIA. This testimony was submitted in connection with the UK extradition proceedings, the, the proceedings in the High Court of, um, uh, in, in London for the extradition of Julian Assange, and the US government did not oppose these submissions. So essentially, um, these, these, these statements by UC Global um, employees were uh, essentially accepted by the U.S. government. So m the bulk of our uh, motion is to um, emphasize the fact that we've absolutely you can't be dismissed just based on the complaint. But, you know, as it happened, a few days before we filed the motion, we learned all this new stuff that came in uh, out on Sunday from the um, uh, from El Pais, where it was clear that there's mountains of evidence that will further back up our claim, probably provide more physical evidence. We'll wait and see. Um, and uh, additionally, a couple weeks ago, there was this great video. Um, this um, It's in Spanish, but it's uh, got American English subtitles all about this escape 
this um, plan to free Julian from the embassy that was scuttled very, very quickly um, by the U.S. government in uh, December of 2017. And, and if you look also, at... Uh, go ahead, Margaret. No, I, I think there was a question earlier about Pompeo and his speech. Um, and I think that outlined exactly what the, the CIA was attempting to do and that was to criminalize journalism on a whole. I mean, it was to uh, assert that certain activities as based on uh, publishing uh, various uh, national security matters were criminal. And it, it's, it, it makes it possible to criminalize. And I mean, it's so hard to be a journalist to begin with. Now, anytime a journalist wants to publish something revealing something about national security, and the word national security seems to cover everything now, they're really in, in, a, in a difficult situation. They, they face prosecution in the United States for talking about anything that is national security protected. Yeah, and I would just add to, to the question, if you go, uh, Trevor put in the chat, if you look at pages 30 through 34 of the, of the it's at the very end, but of the memo we filed today, this morning, um, you will see what, what just Deb just referred to as some of the new evidence that's come in. And, and as Deb said, if you, if you read El Pais, there's weekly new information coming out about the CIA's involvement in, this, um, uh, in its surveillance of Julian Assange. Okay, and then um, Corey says, you have a question. Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Are you able to hear me? Hold on. Corey? Yeah, coming. Yeah, you're muted, Tori. Oh, okay. All right, can you guys hear me now? Yeah. All right, fantastic. Great conversation, and thank you for elaborating on Morales, because there's a lot of people that don't know. But one thing I wanted to kind of ask is a two-part question. Uh, we do understand the CIA connection with all of this, of course, and we do know that UC Global has worked with the analysis corporation type people, um, you know, which was John Brennan's company out in Europe, right, based in Luxembourg, um, a lot. So have we actually taken a look into Adam Waldman? Because Adam Waldman actually, as you all know, visited uh, Julian Assange, and he's been... Um, known to have worked with UC Global as well. So that was kind of a statement question. Have we looked into it? And then the one thing that I get from my audience and anybody can answer this is what else can we do? Because as people, we acknowledge that, you know, in this day and age, it's 2023, secrets are pretty much gone, especially with the invention of cyberspace. And we do understand what a merit it was for Julian Assange to shed the light on many governments on what atrocities are happening and how they're happening. Now, I know my listeners have been sending letters to Julian Assange. I have been talking about him being imprisoned, you know, and I kind of call out journalists that never mention that he's still there. These people made a lot of money from the information he provided, but none of them are willing to put themselves on the line to help him through the situation. And messing with the CIA is no fun. So, and GCHQ, no fun. So what can they do? I mean, I've tried with a lot of my listeners that are in Latin America to probe the Ecuadorian government to see what 
quid pro quo happen to allow things like this to happen? Um, what else can they do? Because protests don't work. Uh, we've been writing letters. Uh, you know, we've tried to bring to the light where we subpoenaed, uh, well, we asked for an open records request for the pardon that President Trump signed, but was never formally presented. Because if that document exists, then that's a big deal. And the FBI has hid that from us. So what else can the people do? So those two questions. You see Global Adam Waldman yeah. and that. Can I, can I, uh, Margaret, I, I mean, Margaret is a legend. <laughs> She's, she is a human rights and a constitutional rights, civil rights attorney that is legendary. So I definitely want her to answer the second part of that. I don't know about the, the guy in the first part, but uh, not to put you on the spot, Margaret, no pressure or anything, but I feel like you're a good person to answer a part of that question. Well, it, it, it is apparent that, um, that there, there is a lot of fear about coming out in favor of revealing uh, government secrets. Now, this is kind of new. I mean, reporters used to feel that that part of the work that they were doing was to reveal government secrets because those are the things that, that all the, mostly government secrets hide crimes. And if you don't get that information out, then the government can become a, law, a lawbreaker. So what has happened is that journalists, I think, have become frightened of talking about the situation with Assange, of talking about the um, limitations on national security journalism, of talking about whether the mass media is controlled by these speakers who only talk, who are experts and ex-government employees. And who, who, who is talking about this? Who is in control of the situation? How do we break through and get more journalists to do answer and to do the investigation that is necessary to break this through? I mean, it's a real, it's a real question and it, it, it's a media question. And the issue here is, I mean, yes, it used to be that, that we could get enough people out on the streets to have an effect uh, publicly. But this is really more serious than that, because this is a silencing of the media that is really significant and preventing uh, investigation of the crimes that the governments are committed, the, the crimes that the government committed against Julian Assange. And, and Pompeo, in his speech, specifically made an effort to limit the First Amendment and to criminalize any, any uh, journalist who spoke, who, who talks about national security issues. And that's really frightening. And I think that that's the issue here is that we have to get the, the journalists involved because they're the ones who are in danger. And understandably, they're afraid of saying anything and doing, doing the work that they should be doing. Okay, does, Tori, does that kind of answer your question? Well, um, yeah, it kind of does. But, you know, like I do it all the time. Obviously, I get canceled. I just come back and again and again. But I, I think it's time we put more pressure on to these journalists. I call them out. I tell them, you've made so much money with what he has given you. You are able to see the atrocities. Why aren't you pushing harder? Why aren't you going back to the beginning? If we all start at 2016 as journalists, we would be able to provide more. Uh, you know, and, and that's the thing. Marches, letters, like, you know, maybe on the 31st of August, we can organize a, a whole U.S. march. I know there's a lot of people that would come out for that. 
for him. It's really important. We have transparency. And I understand, yeah, secrets are to conceal crimes. But in this digital age, okay. nothing is hidden. So thank you, Margaret. I appreciate ben, you. Ben, I think you were about to chime yeah. in there. I, I was attempting to chime in. Uh, Tori, you know, if, if you've got uh, people that are following you that are looking to do more to help uh, Julian, uh, if they go to assangedefense.org and uh, click on the button at the top, it says take action. There's a place to put in your email address. Uh, there are actions that occur on a regular basis. Uh, the next one coming up is a coordinated banner drop in about 50 locations around the country um, to try to get the you know the mainstream media to to notice. Okay, I have a quick question. Can I say something on that, Trevor? Can I say something? Hey, um, I would like uh, to okay, coordinate with wait, you. Wait, wait, okay, yeah, no, Ben, I'd like to coordinate with you on that because when we had issues before, we dropped, you know, uh, what is it, billboards all over the United States. Maybe we can coordinate in synchrony globally to do this. I agree. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we have a, a, another quick question. Um, can U.S. can U.S. complainants ask the U.S. investigators to question some of the government sources which talk to Yahoo News about CIA assassination plans against Julian Assange, and to ask about UC Global? Well, let me hit that one. It's understand that when we're in the U.S., we're in a civil litigation, so there's no u.s investigators this is not we don't have the fbi we don't have the u.s attorney's office involved it is a litigation between between litigants civil litigants so we could conduct our own discovery and try to find out from yahoo who they learned it from but i don't think yahoo's going to tell us and that really is not the focus of this lawsuit this lawsuit certainly um the byproduct is bringing bringing attention to what's going on with 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 effective journalism but the focus of this lawsuit is just not to allow the, the, the government to trounce over its citizens by, without a search warrant, just looking at everything they have. So the, this lawsuit, again, there aren't investigators. We don't have, we don't have regulators. We don't have any kind of um, FBI or any kind of um, authority here. Uh, but it may be something that is worth looking into. Um, certainly, if, 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 if the government did, as Yahoo reports, um, attempt or even considered assassinating someone um, for reporting, that's something that the government may want to look at. We're not. That's not what we're looking at. Okay. And Richard, you know, with your, your uh, hundreds of years of experience, I know you can't totally tell, but if you had to guess on a timeline, how soon before you think we'll hear back from the judge? You think this will be quicker? Uh, so I'm not a betting person, but I would give the over under to be sometime by the end of September, early October. I'd say before Halloween and after um, Labor Day. So it'll be the court's going to have to spend some time on this. Okay. And then Kathy Vogan, you've been so patient and you've been helping to host this thing. You have a question. You, you And then we're going to, I think we're going to need to close it up, folks. But Kathy, what, what, why don't we make you the final question? You're muted. You're muted, Kath. Kathy, you're muted. Kathy Vogan. <laughs> Sorry. 
I'm somebody who really likes the nitty gritty. And what we have in the El Pais uh, article that has just come out is one screenshot, but there are, are mentions of other folders such as ladies toilet. Now, I'm not trying to be funny, but that's where Julian Assange went to conduct with his lawyers to conduct legally privileged conversations. What we see in the screenshot, however, um, you can just look at the thread. And of course, CIA is one of the folders. And then you have embassy and then you have people's names. So um, my question is, is it possible to get a little bit more of that, um, especially ladies toilet um, in the hope that some of your names are going to come up? Would that help you in your case, or is it too late now to put anything more in with Judge Colton? That, that will help us. We have to get over this legal hurdle, which is the motion to dismiss. But yeah. yes, that is information, which is, if you will, phase two of any trial. You have your pleadings and motions of any case. You have your pleadings and motions. You have your discovery. Then you have your trial. In the discovery phase, phase two, that's the stuff we want to know. We want to know there are there have been allegations in both an El Pais and I believe in even even the affidavits that there were microphones in the ladies' bathroom, which overheard Julian Assange's conversations. If the CIA was doing that, that is outrageous. So that is stuff that we do want to learn during the discovery phase and. We, we're very fortunate in one way because a lot of the information we want, we believe has been obtained in Spain. So um, our goal is to, is to get that information. Um, not, listen, the press reporting is pretty startling, but you're right, um, Kathy, getting that actual evidence is going to be very revealing. And that's our goal, yes. But surely isn't, uh, if you had something like that, I mean, that's what a lot of these questions have been about. Wouldn't wouldn't that information be that evidence be a lot more compelling um, to persuade Judge Kotal to say yes, this should not be dismissed? It, it absolutely would, but the CIA does things discreetly. The CIA does not uh, broadcast; um, it's it's private. So we have to dig. Um, we have to dig. We have to dig deep. And, and, we, and what we've learned thus far from these affidavits, from what El Pais has said, and just the filings in, in Spain um, have, have given us, have really encouraged us. They've encouraged us that there's a lot more out there and we're going to keep digging um, until we get it. I think that's a great way to wrap up the, uh, wrap up the press conference. I want to thank everybody for joining. I do want to let journalists know um, Please email me, trevorfg at protonmail.com, trevorfg at protonmail.com, if you'd like a copy of the press release. I think I have most of you, but um, do email me just in case so I can make sure I get it to you. Um, and then my phone number is area code 704-775-0487 in case anybody would like to interview any of our uh, panelists. Um, ben Cohen, thank you for joining us. Deb, Richard, Margaret, you guys are the best. And I want a special shout out to Consortium News, Joe and Kathy for hosting. And thank you all for, for joining us. Take care.
Bye bye. Thanks, Thank Chad. you, everyone. And that's incredible, you guys. This is how you make change. You make change by talking. It's difficult ones, of course. Very well received. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Fifteen gears now, and we're going to a slight intermission while we engage with Mr. Oz. So on that note, uh, please digest what was said. A very good, um, I would have to say, statement was, well, we can always contact the judge. Hmm. That's a very interesting way to think about it. So let's have this intermission. Let's have some good music. And I will be back to introduce you to someone that I really like. And he's a pretty swell guy. See you in just a few minutes. A revolution, that's exactly uh, what's happening. And it's global. It's not just now. It's global. It's been happening. It's just been done in a way that you just can't tell. It's almost like when you put on weight. It's like one pound, two pound, 10, 20. And then you're like, yo, when did I go up so many sizes, <laughs> right? It's kind of like that, where you don't see it coming and it's just there. And that's exactly where we're at. You know, um, I did mention about the pardon and that was kind of glossed over, but that's okay. The point of the matter here is to raise awareness that the CIA has been sued. They put in a motion to dismiss and that's what's important. We need, you know, to be fighting on all fronts. We need to be setting fires on all fronts. I mean, we did it with our Trump one, didn't we? We did it where we had a bunch of, you know, uh, billboards and hanging signs. And we did it. Why? Because Trump won. And we knew it. Everybody knew it. So we made sure that they saw it. Sticker brigades. Maybe on the 31st of August, we can organize something more international for that. Now, having said that, as we know, the majority of the concerns that we have in the news, I guess, is having real news and using social media correctly. So I want to introduce you guys to a good friend of mine who I simply adore because he's smart. You know, most of these people that have been on uh, Twitter back in the highlight of the days um, used to take point from us. And so allow me to introduce you to an astounding man called Jason 
Sullivan or Oz. Jason, welcome to the Tori Says Show. How are you today? And I can't hear you. There you uh, go. Tori, I, I think I'm here. Yeah, you are. How oh, are you? Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you for the it kind is. introduction. Well, you're fantastic. You know, um, you're you're one of the people that uh, you know I look to to see where the pulse of social media is going because you've done some incredible things. Now, to my audience that doesn't know you, I would really love you to kind of intro yourself and um, have a conversation. And welcome. Well, thank you for that. I uh, can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Okay, perfect. Um, and thanks for uh, contacting me a little earlier to remind me about the Julian Assange uh, live stream that was taking place regarding UC Global. That was uh, good to listen in into. I, I've been going a thousand miles an hour with my hair on fire, and it's hard to keep up with everything. But um, yeah, for your audience that uh, doesn't know me, or um, actually nobody was ever supposed to know anything about me. Exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. You're a person that didn't exist, so. <laughs> um, Nobody was ever supposed to know anything about that's me. That's right. It, it, that was until um, I caught the attention of Robert Mueller and uh, his special counsel. Um, that's the first time that anybody heard anything about me. Um, the reason that I caught the attention of uh, Robert Mueller and special counsel is because we were fairly effective. I think that that's probably the reason why I caught their attention. Um, and in, in, uh, in helping you know, play a, a small but fairly significant role behind the scenes. Um, you know, I, I believe that we helped move the needle for Trump in 2016. Small, wait, stop. You are way too modest, okay? Uh, you well, are way a, too modest. It was a small you, role. I mean, there was, no, there was a lot. it was not a small role. Stop. Because I would watch it and all the influencers would take point from you. And, you know, if you weren't taking point and feeling the pulse from Oz, then you were nobody important. And so I was like, hey, I'm just going to watch this. It was incredible watching you work and more so incredible. You just kind of outing the truth and, you know, speaking up for WikiLeaks at, you know, during the Mueller investigation, too. It was kind of like I was saying it. No, he's lying. And you were like, well, here's the evidence. <laughs> and your mm -hmm. algorithm is incredible, too. You need to talk about that. People need to know who you are because, yes, you're not supposed to exist. Yes, you're supposed to be in the shadows, but your work is impeccable. Well, th again, thank you very much. I mean, you're, you're too kind. And, and um, you know, I, I like to think that I, I played a small role. I, you know, again, I, if, if we were able to move the needle in a, in a, in a meaningful, significant way, that, that made me happy. And, and I, think that, I think that we, you know, helped move the needle. And I think we had something to do with, you know, uh, 2016 with Trump winning. I mean, it was the biggest political upset in modern day history. Um, you, nobody expected you know, Donald Trump to actually pull it off, especially the people that were pulling the strings behind the scenes and the establishment. And it was, you know, Hillary was promised the win. That's why she couldn't come out and speak. <laughs> yeah, it was her turn, her turn. <laughs> to have been a fly on the wall. Um, but- I got uh, flies, I got flies. Yeah, was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, so let's see, algorithms. Um, I developed, uh, a social media software that exploits Twitter 
And when I say exploits Twitter, I mean, I'm talking about actionable, what's called actionable insights. And I'm not trying to throw jargon at you or your audience. Obviously, you know, you know all the lingo, but <clears throat> actionable insights means things that are happening right now that we can capitalize on. And the bottom line is we created a specialized tool that goes into Twitter's databases and we can basically monitor 100% of all the live conversations that are taking place that are influencing our campaign's world in real time and find out who's on first, what's on second, good, bad, or ugly, friend or foe, right? <clears throat> All of that information is highly important. You know, when you're in a, when you're in a battle, and, and we are in an information war, um, when you're in a battle, there is nothing more precious uh, than the commodity of intelligence. Data, 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 data. Yeah, that's correct. Well, data is the, the mass consum consumption of, of data, and intelligence is after you have deciphered that data and, and made it, you know, actionable, right? Once you've processed and digested all of that data and found out the actionable and identified the gold nuggets and the actionable insights that are within that data, and then you start connecting down near misses and connects and disconnects and where the wheels fell off and who's on, you know, first and uh, who are the key influencers that are responsible for driving the narrative in real time and what's coming just over the horizon that people don't quite yet see, you know, that is, that's strategy. You can't be a strategy without intelligence. There can be no strategy without intelligence. And so if that's the key, then, and if that's true, which it is, there can be no greater strategy than one that's built around real-time intelligence, real-time intel. You would never want to rush into a battlefield having stale intelligence, would you? Right. Never, never. And the thing right. is, we have to take into account like people like me that use non-attribution methods and or reduce their impact, meaning on number visibility. You know, that also has to get taken into account when crunching that data to see what the pulse of America is talking about. And your algorithm was pretty good mining and seeing how things come up and go down. But, you know, if you, you know, there was something that I coined Operation Gridlock. It was something that we had deployed overseas years ago, um, which is where we um, congested the streams with a lot of the same information too. So that way people couldn't see. And what I saw was that your algorithm when looking at it could decipher the difference between the congestion and the actual, you know, information that you were collecting. And I found that pretty tight. Well, thank you. You know, um, you know, the, the famous uh, hockey player, Wayne Gretzky, right? Arguably, probably the best hockey player of all time. But, um, you know, they would ask Wayne Gretzky, you know, what, what's so different about you? You know, what makes you such a great hockey player? And he said, well, well, all the other hockey players are chasing the puck. I skate to where the puck is going to be. That's exactly it. That's how people should move. And, you know, being on your own, deciding where the pulse is and gravitating toward that so that you can see where it is, is, is pretty incredible. Now, Jason, you and I are working on other things kind of, you know, peripherally, but what have you been working on? You had your Twitter book, you know, which I haven't gotten yet. You know, I want to I, I want to tell people about this because you put all the tweets right before the purge on January 8th in there, <laughs> which was incredible. Um, tell me about that, because I, I really want to know how you came up with the idea to just publish all those tweets like that was pretty cool. Well, that was fun. Um, we knew it, we, you know, talking about where the hockey puck's going to be. We, we knew what was coming. 
Okay, we, you know, I've I've been there at the tip of the spear fighting against censorship since the you know the the day it started. I mean, it, it, since the day it it they started to scale it, so to speak, on Twitter, which was immediately after we won in two thousand and sixteen. That's when you know social media discovered their raw power. They realized, oh my God, this guy won regardless, and he and he won using our platforms. <laughs> the, yeah, you know, well, he, well, the, well the, it's not our platforms. You know what, Jason? I like to argue this, and I want your take on this. Sure. Like, I had written an article back in 2018, and I've been talking about it for years. I even did like a post at the HuffPo that they scrubbed, where I was talking about how social media companies are actual government entities uh, disguised as private. It's kind of like InQtel, right? So right. disguised as uh, private companies. Well, InQtel is they, the one that funds them. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's well, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> See? So I was trying to say it kind of roundabout, you know, bringing up the topic how the DOD had weaponized Twitter when Bradley Manning and then became Chelsea Manning when the trials were happening, right? They actually deployed sock puppets. And, you know, I found it quite interesting that uh, no one realized just how much data the government collects. It's all about um, the data. Yeah. yeah. It's all about the data. It's all about, in, you know, information. They just, they, they want to spy. The more information they can possibly digest, the better. I mean, that's the name of the game. So, you know, the social media platforms, I think is where you're alluding and what you're going to here. They're, they're yeah. listening devices. That's what this is. This is, this is echolocation like in Batman. Okay. That we're dealing with here. Okay. It's I all about, yeah, it's all about information and every ounce of information we can possibly get our hands on is the way that the CIA and the FBI and the NSA, that that's the way that they look at it. Right. And, and anything that they investigate, it's just another excuse to gather more Intel and to, to get more information to put into their databases and plug into their databases. Yeah. This is actual voluntary too, from the people, you know, that's right. They, they feed the algorithms like on YouTube. If you actually look at the stuff I'm subscribed to, you'll be like, what the heck is going on with this person? I like everything. So, you know, the, so the algorithm can't track my likes and dislikes. <laughs> so I'll just like anything from, you know, cartoons to funny things to food things to horoscopes. I inundate them with that. Anyone that does horoscopes. Means, yeah. Like, yeah, any any horoscope I click like 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 like, um, because then you know it goes on to a different type of algo and they leave me alone. But like you no. know, seeing the social media sphere up until twenty twenty one, right? And and you saw it gradually from twenty fifteen how they kind of just came in hardcore, right? And they were censoring things that shouldn't have been censored in the first place. I mean, everyone's talking about how YouTube's walking back things, you know, hasn't been walked back yet. And the question is, why would they take such a strategy? Are they anticipating to claim that the elections were stolen in 2024? Like, you know, these are all questions that I would pose to you even offline, right? Like, what's the deal? What do you foresee? You know, rather than me crunch the numbers on my predictive analytics, what would you foresee them doing now that it's out in the open? I mean, we have the Twitter files and I'm actually working on the Twitch files now. Right. Because I think I was I was one of their biggest influencers. I was in the top 1000 in the world and they nixed me after the New York Times was making allegations how I use non-attribution and I remove people that follow me to not look like I have a president. Like they went all out like they knew what they were talking about. And Kellen's pretty good at tech, you know, for the New York Times. He's a pretty good reporter when it comes to tech. And he hasn't been friendly to you either, Jason. So, I mean, what do you what is your outlook based on, you know, going I don't, through? I don't even know who that is. I, I, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of um, 
people that haters. Don't. But, you know, but but we need more because the last ones became fans, so that's okay. Yeah. You know what? Actually, that's how I see it too. All my haters have gone away. You know, they they painted me with a brush of a QAnon conspiracy theorist. I'm like, what the heck? Like, how do you even come up with that? Uh, that was I troll. Like, if I go to a presser, I will troll. I will wear an earring with the letter Q on it, just a troll. Um, right. But but you know, they 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 came with smears with disinfo. I mean, right now we have that crazy disinfo chick sitting. She is literally sitting at my desk at the GCHQ building, you know, the shared one with the U.S. under um, in Informatica. It's like a new division that they created with five eyes for disinfo. That's a big deal. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's Orwell. I mean, it, it is. You know, it's it's it, it, it's, it's Orwellian. The, uh, yes, it is. <laughs> it, it, is. It, it is. It is the uh, the Ministry of Truth. Okay? Yes. Yes. So who who is going to be responsible? The government wants to be responsible for telling us what the truth is, you know, and uh, and that doesn't set well with us, obviously. You know, if you, what is it uh, uh, in the movie The Terminator? If you can hear my voice, you're part of the resistance. <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah. I was reading today. The ju uh, judge was reading things and saying, "Well, is it okay if people criticize that Biden is responsible for high gas prices?" And the response of the agency was. Well, it depends. Excuse me? Depends, and even yeah. the judge said, have you read George Orwell's 1984? <laughs> because this is what kind of it looks like. A sitting judge said that. That's a big deal. They better, so, they better, they better put on their depends because uh, we, have a, we, have another, we have another plan. So, yes. you know, uh, listen, to answer your question about the, the J6 thing, uh, obviously, you know, we knew that they were sent in a big, fat, crazy way. Uh, it became ridiculous. It was beyond the pale. We were discovering their methodologies and, and their algorithms and what they're doing and how they're doing it because we work with the you know the, the back end and the and the, uh, the you know the servers and the APIs and whatnot. We see exactly what we put in and exactly what comes out. So you know when things start anomalies start happening, we start investigating and we see okay you know okay they're doing this thing called shadow banning and I would think that I, I was probably one of the people that got the President Trump to start saying the word shadow banning in the first place, um, but. He, neither here nor there. I mean, you know, we realize obviously you, you, you labeled fake news. Everybody in the world knows what fake news is. Now you have to do the same thing with social media because it's going to be the biggest electioneering coup of all time. If they can control the dials and put all of our conservative Christian, Judeo-Christian values and conservative voices in the, down in the mud and amplify the, the progressive voices, then he or she who drives the narrative drives the outcome at the end of the day. That's the simple fact. Whoever drives the narrative drives the outcome. And they know that. That's why the, the biggest, you know, uh, the priority of the intelligence communities is to control the public discourse. Number one, that's the, that's the gold ball that everybody is that is after. You know, that's uh, you know the golden fleece that everybody's trying to retrieve is is the the public discourse. How do you control the public discourse? Is what the intelligence communities are thinking, and that's their goal that drives everything that they do. We the people. Our, our drive is to how do we circumvent all the nonsensical bullshit uh, censoring uh, practices of the intelligence communities and what they're trying to do to, to smother our voices so that we can't drive the narrative. So that's the constant battle that's going on. That's the information war. That's the epicenter of the information war right there. So, you know, uh, when we saw all of the trends taking place and all the censorship that was happening and they're censoring not only, you know, 
they were censoring federal level senatorial and congressional candidates all across the country. We were witnessing this in real time. We were reporting it back to to the the Trump administration to people you know that um, had the had the president's ear on a regular basis, saying this is what they're doing. These are their new techniques. These are the methodologies. This is what's happening. Bill Benny and I. Uh, one of the Godfather whistleblowers, you know him, his name, Bill Benny yep, and Kirk yep, Weeby. Yep. Bill Benny and Kirk Weeby, you know, they they built a program called little program called Thin Thread, which enabled the, the yes. NSA to process the globe's metadata, which they thought would be impossible. But, you know, Bill Benny and, and his team and Kirk Weeby, and they, they built it and made it possible. And, you know, that metadata just again, not to throw jargon, that just means that all the billions of cell phones that are made, cell phone calls that are made every day, all the billions of landline calls that are made every day, all the billions of text messages that are made on a, you know, every single day, that's the meta, that's metadata, that's the globe's metadata. So basically, Bill Benny. Device uh, IDs, you name it. All of they it, yeah, everything. all the communication. Yeah. Mm -hmm. all, the, all, the, all the, the data packages, all the handshakes, all the encryption, all of that. It doesn't matter if it's encrypted or not, by the way. NSA has it all. We, yeah, we well, that's the question. Wait a minute. NSA has it all. You know, I, just to give an example of what he's talking about, back in 2018, when Laura Loomer was knocked off of Twitter, right? She just signed up for a dummy account just to look around, right? And I was on the phone with her and she's like, damn, they banned me again. I was like, you're using the same device. They collect your device ID when you sign up for the app. So it's coming from the same device. So your device has been blacklisted. Buy a new phone and you can get on. And she was astounded. New phone and new number because that's how much data they have. And, and, and that's what's incredible these days. People don't understand just how much access they provide just by downloading a simple app, either to track, you know, uh, you know, to, to have Twitter, Facebook, I mean, Facebook is like the most evasive. Your phone should be Facebook if you have Messenger on it, period. But the amount of access people allow is, is, is pretty insane. And, you know, now that Elon is on, people are like, oh, my gosh, he's our Lord and Savior. And I'm like, no, nah, he's just a very smart businessman getting rid of the bots so that he can have accurate data collection, which then goes to thin threat, right? Collecting yeah. all this information. Where do you think they process all of this? Because, you know, obviously our Utah, Utah data center is not able to sustain such high volumes of information. What are your thoughts on that? As far as the physical location, it's spread across multiple different uh, locations and redundancies. Uh, however, the, 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 where they actually store it all, I, if, if my memory serves me right, I think it's called um, Whirlwind. Um, I think it's called whirlwind is where it's all actually stored so when we said we have it all and did you say antarctica uh no i did oh. not say antarctica i'm saying antarctica <laughs> but um and it could be for all i know but yep. uh, you know I, I i would imagine that it is it is spread across multiple different you know geographic areas and different regions for redundancy purposes um you know and uh but it is all stored and, and I, if it's not called whirlwind when I when I do look it up and remember as soon as we get off this uh, interview, then I'll I'll send it to you. Um, but it it is all there at the NSA. So all of email, all of those thirty three thousand emails of Hillary's NSA has it. Okay, and if you guys remember, Mike Pompeo came out at a certain point because he couldn't hide it any longer, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, we actually we do have those emails," and then it just kind of went away. Nobody heard about it anymore. Right. Well, not only those emails. I mean, they have all emails. All emails. All, all like every single, every, every bit of it. So, so Bill Benny and I, <clears throat> and he's kind of a smart guy. Um, one of my mentors and friends uh, that helped me with 
building my algorithm and helped me with the automation uh, side of things. Him and Kirk Weeby helped me with the automation side of things on my algorithm so that I can monitor conversations in real time and, and build in automated type of alert systems so that I know what's trending and what's about to go viral before the rest of the world starts reading about it. Um, so Bill Benny and I personally challenged Jack Dorsey and we wrote an open letter challenge uh, to Jack Dorsey. Uh, coincidentally, uh, I was permanently banned shortly thereafter off of Twitter, <laughs> but um, coincidentally. But anyways, no, Bill Benny. Tell me about Jack though. How did he? How did he feel about it? Like for me, my last account was banned after I was showcasing that they were silencing, uh, you know, uh, conservatives, but they had literal child porn on Twitter. Oh, and so, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. And, and that's the question, like, uh, how, how is this happening? Well, uh, my understanding is Elon's been doing a great, great job of trying to get rid of it as quickly as possible. But it is a living and breathing platform, you know, with, uh, you know, billions of actionable insights taking place on a daily basis. So it's, it's not an easy job, uh, but AI is making it easier. Uh, that's another, yeah. you know, another animal. Um, <clears throat> but as far as how did, how did Jack feel about being put on the spot, I don't I don't think he was very comfortable. It was a pretty bright light. He that we ran away. On. He went to South yeah. Africa. He was like, "See ya." <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty bright light, and uh, and I and I it, and, and I, I didn't think that he was going to take me up on our challenge, and he didn't, um, because if he did, uh, it would have been you know not so good for him. Anyways, well, was, I have a question for you that's coming from Korea from Kakao TV. Oh wow! Are you are you the same Jason Sullivan that ratted out that Roger Stone was lying? You know, I selectively picked that question. Oh boy, of course you did. I know. Well, I, let's just say that I listen, Roger. Uh, I was engaged by Roger. Um, the truth of the matter is, I didn't know really who he was when I first got the engagement, other than he was somebody that was in a sphere of influence of uh, of uh, President or candidate Trump. You know, I, I looked him up after uh, they reached back out. Um, you know, he would have everybody believe that he's got Trump on speed dial. Uh, that's his MO. Um, he engaged me, made a lot of promises. Uh, I worked for him for 97 days. Exactly. I believe he said that he fired me on ceremoniously after 30 days, which is uh, a complete lie. Um, and I have about, you know, 10,000 emails that say otherwise, which I'm happy to share with the world. Um, but anyways, um, Roger does a lot of things to build his own profile. And as I started working with him, um, you know, I obviously wanted to help him. He, you know, convinced me that he had, you know, Trump on speed dial and everybody else in the family practically. And so I thought I was doing some, some good. And of course I worked around the, the clock feverishly trying to find actionable insights and opportunities for us to capitalize on and providing him with strategy ideas. And these are things that we can capitalize on. These are things that we can, we should jump into. These are, these are the people we should be attacking right now. These are the topics we should be attacking. Um, you know, I made a video go viral, uh, which a lot of people might remember, um, uh, was a video about a, a number of people that went into a polling station. They were inviting to a, poll, a polling station to test the theory that that the uh, Diebold machine at the time, it was called Diebold. Mm, yep, which, Diebold. Which was purchased by Dominion, by the way. Uh, and they just simply changed the name of the, the machine. But we put so much pressure on that machine that they literally changed the name. Um, anyways, the, the video went viral. They showed how the people voted and then the uh, a hacker took possession of the uh, a voting card, electronic voting card, came back, 
you know, a few seconds later, and then they did the readout, and everybody's votes had been reversed. And um, I'm not sure if you remember that video, but I, I think that video. I do, I do, yeah. I do, because it was a very important one. You know, I remember in 2017, I had sent letters to all the senators, you know, advising them that the machines aren't certified that their certification lapsed in 2017. And yes. I was like, and the only one that actually responded to it and reached out to Jack Cobb, right, of Pro V, which are the people that inspect, was Senator Wyden. And the only thing he told Jack was, hey, it's very important that we're certified, but he, no one was certified. We had no certified elections at all. I mean, they right. just jumped on it after the fact in 2021. And it's like, wait, you didn't have any certified elections because the EAC didn't even have a quorum. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they are using a, a voting machine, electronic voting machines across the country that are not certified uh, at all. So back to, um, uh, you know, working with Stone, you know. Oh, yeah, again, they want to know about the Assange stuff. That's basically the question. You know, I was like looking through all of them and I was like, that one's perfect. Since we were talking about Julian Assange earlier. Well, you know, I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up because Stone has dug in on me a few too many times. Um, and I and I've been silent about it. You know, I've actually been pretty silent ever since 2016. If you you know, uh, I I never really came out publicly about anything. I've had every news outlet in the country, you know, wanting to interview me, talking about who the hell, you know, who, who is Jason? What, is, what did he do? Uh, who is it? You know, Robert Mueller has got him in interrogations right now, you know, for hours. You know, they're they're having him testify in front of a federal grand jury. You know, uh, who is this guy? And, and I avoided the mainstream media like the plague. Um, there's a reason for that, because when you're going through interrogations from Robert Mueller's special counsel, it is it is a harrowing experience and they make it very clear to you uh, that if they believe for a millisecond that you are not cooperating with them 100% that you will not be sitting where you are currently sitting uh, in next conversation with you if you get my drift. So it is uh, been there, been there, <laughs> it's still yeah, there. So, yeah. There's not that many people that have, you know, been through that, you know, so you, you, you have that experience. I mean, there was a short list of people that went through the experience that I did and I wanted to make sure my name went away. Uh, I didn't want to go on a, on a, on a mainstream media uh, tour knowing that they would shred me anyways, uh, not give me a fair chance. And uh, in the interrogations, they're, they're basically threatening you to say that if you talk about what took place here, if you tell them what we were asking you about, if you tell them that we're asking about your software and that and the other, we're going to be watching you. We see you. We're going to be watching you. And they'd already sent FBI agents to my my family's home for God's sakes. Okay, uh, and then to my home, you know, uh, several counties over, a few, just a few hours later. So they knew exactly where to come find me. Yet they just, you know, decided to do the intimidation tactics in the family's home, which I will never forgive them for. But. Yeah. Um, Anyways, I, you know, I, I, hot boxes, they exactly. hot box you from the outside first, then they come for you when you're yeah, sweating. That's right. And, you know, and, and they, I called the FBI at multiple offices at multiple different counties saying that apparently they're looking for me. I'm right here. Where do I come in? And they wouldn't help me. They, they wouldn't help me. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? Just wait for them to jump out of the bushes and tackle me? And they said, yeah, pretty much. You know, obviously they want to find you. Uh, they're going to find you. I'm like, but I'm calling you right now to tell you where I am. Where can I come see you? You know, I, I want, is, are these calls recorded so that they know that I'm not running anywhere? You know, they already kicked in, you know, uh, Paul Manafort's door. I'm thinking, well, 
who the hell am I? Of course they'll kick in my door. So, you know, I, I've got to try to get sleep that night and, and figure, well, I'm going to wake up, you know, perhaps with guns in my faces the next day. Um, so anyways, in, in the middle of all of this uh, Russian collusion narrative, this Russian collusion. Uh, Which came from the NSA, by the way. Go on. Hysteria. hysteria there you go. Um, well, yeah, that's that's a good point because, uh, and we can get into that. That's another rabbit hole. But you're, you're, you're spot on there because how did the FBI know? that anybody was mm. listening in or out of the DNC servers and all mm. that good stuff. So I think that's where you're going, exactly. right? Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, there's congressional record too about that, but nobody yeah. reads records. Yeah. So in the middle of all of this hysteria of the Russians hacked the DNC, which we now know never happened. And by the way, Bill Denny and his genealogist did forensic investigation into the actual files that WikiLeaks released and uh, showed all Answers. of the actual time. Yeah. yeah, showed all the tri uh, the the, uh, the the timestamps. Mm -hmm. Timestamps uh, can you know when a file is downloaded, they can be downloaded uh, uh, rounded per second. Like this cell downloaded mm -hmm. after three seconds. This one downloaded after eight seconds, or they can download per millisecond. Like this one downloaded at seven seconds, uh, seven point three five seconds. This one downloaded at two point nine six seconds. So each and file compression rate, even if you had an extraordinary quantum compression rate, it would sh still show a bit rate if you were downloading. Whereas if you're putting it directly to a drive, then that's different. Rounded per second. That's right. Yeah. So that is a clear indication of a fat file, which is a hard drive and or a thumb drive. So that's forensic evidence, okay, which was never allowed in any court case in the across the, the land, uh, by the way. And in addition to that, the download speeds. The download speeds of these files are downloaded at such a great speed that it could have never been transmitted over any internet connection known to mankind. Not then and not now, not no way, not no how. Okay. Well, Jason, you know, I want to make a point on that. So yeah. in, in, I think it was May 29th, the DNC connected directly, like almost like FTP connection with the FBI to download their server, right? In 2016, May, mm -hmm. end of May. And they had CrowdStrike facilitate that, right? Yeah, of course. The question we should, yeah, of course they did. <laughs> they had a contract, you know, and he announced Hillary's free and clear two days after they pay CrowdStrike. Get out of here. But mm -hmm. when they connected, right, and it's a direct FTP link, which would be, you know, better compression rates, direct access, right? And they're all in the same geographical area, right, where the server was. Mm -hmm. Well, then the question lies, then how come you guys had, you know, more seconds to download than the one that you alleged Russia did? Hmm. See, because that stream was actually tapped. Mm -hmm. So the stream that the FBI had when that was downloaded, they alleged that in January, um, where there were files taken, um, you know, they were also streaming and that was actually intercepted, you know, on the back end. So the FBI was streaming, that was hacked while, you know, somebody else had already taken it. So you can just compare the bit rates between the two, right? And say, well, that one is you regionally direct, you know, great compression rates, great access. So why did, you know, WikiLeaks drop something that showed that it was hand to server? You know, that's that. your argument. Reminds me of that uh, that uh, night, late night talk show, Arsenio Hall. Things that make you go, hmm. 
Yeah, well, we could just use the stuff that they put out. That's on congressional record where the DNCIT guy was freaking out. Oh, they came to me in 2015 and they were showing me strips of paper that they taped together to hide things. You know, that's when they were looking for Hillary's emails to delete on the servers, you know? And so they were like, yeah, these are all Russian emails. It was all bullshit. And the guy knew it. And he even said it in congressional testimony in 2016, the IT director for the DNC. And then he, you know... um, creates these these link ups directly with the FBI, you know, in their forensic data forensic unit. And then you see the latency that they have in receiving. You're like, wait a minute. So how did Russia do it then to make it look like a thumb drive? There's your answer. There, there you go. Okay. Right. So, so but, uh, but here's let's go to the thing on Roger Stone. Well, yeah, so when, you were, when you were there, what were the most important questions, you know, that you were asked in relations? Because everyone gave Jerome Corsi a lot of shit. Right. And Dr. Corsi got a lot of shit because, you know, he called it out and he was low hanging fruit for people to just troll him. Right. And the only person that I saw kind of sit back was Dr. Patenik. Right. And say, well, hold on a second. Truth is truth. We shouldn't, you know, be like this. But you were in the middle of that and you provided the evidence needed. So um, I'd love to to have everyone hear this. Well, um, you know that movie Forrest Gump where he ends up finding himself in the middle of just about everything. Sometimes I feel like that. Um, no, you know, listen, working with Roger again, I didn't know who he was when I first took on the engagement and until after they, you know, made contact with me and then I did a little further digging and realized obviously he had a relationship with Trump for 40 some years and he was a, a, a trusted quote unquote trusted advisor. However, they had, you know, have like many friends have had their ins and outs. You know, sometimes you get in an argument with a buddy or a friend and you don't talk for a couple of years. And then later on you get together and you play a game of pool and have a cold beer and everything's fine again. Right. So that, I wasn't going to, you know, judge that relationship. It's not my business. But the bottom line is um, when I was engaged with him, it turned out that he was actually on the outs, which he would never let you know, of course. But I found that out inadvertently. I, I wasn't trying to you know, find that out. It just it happened inadvertently. Um, and the way that that happened is because, um, well, you know, I tried to help Roger get some funding for his super PAC so that he could pay his bills. And um, some promises were made when I put him on the phone with some pretty hefty people. And um, he made some promises. And then later on, you know, he was not able to hold those promises uh, or to fruition. So that uh, kind of showed me that he wasn't able to produce what he had promised to some pretty important people and mm-hmm. and uh, and that inadvertently kind of exposed that he was actually on the outs to me uh, and I had to advise to some of these people uh, that I could no longer um, support uh, them making a, a sizable investment into the pack and, unless he was actually able to come through on these things so that uh, I think kind of embarrassed Roger for one another well, uh, way, but the president uh, like filed an FEC you know, saying that he's not part of his pack. Like that was a blow because he officially filed it. It's well, not like know. he just said it. He made it official record. Like well, I'm Trump, not connected yeah. to him. Trump said he Trump said he fired him and Roger Stone said he would never got fired. He quit. But then Trump called him a stone cold loser. Um, so, you know, again, those two have had their back and forth several many times. Again, not my business, but the bottom line is my business was I was engaged to do a job. And while I was there to do the job, I did my job. And I did it for 97 days straight, probably without any sleep. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty, as you've known me, I, I, I'm pretty uh, adamant about, you know, producing. 
and uh, and and I don't sleep until uh, until the job's done. So, um, anyways, with with Roger at this particular time, there was mass hysteria going on about the Russians hacking the DNC, which would have been an act of war, so to speak, right? Our our sworn enemy, the boogeyman, Russia, hacking our DNC, inter interfering with uh, America's democracy, you know, democratic process, right? Hacking in that information to interfere with our elections. That's an act of, act of war, right? And then Russia hands over the stolen information to a willing culprit called WikiLeaks, Julian Assange. And WikiLeaks willingly takes this stolen information, you know, uh, federal crimes here now, okay? And, and then now, what was the entire narrative? That the Russians hacked the DNC, the Russians then took the stolen information, gave it to WikiLeaks, who was willingly working with Russia, and then what was the tie-in at the end? That the Trump campaign was colluding with Russia directly or indirectly through WikiLeaks by coordinating and quarterbacking the timed release of the information to have the optimum amount of impact on their opposition, which was Hillary Clinton and, and her campaign. And yours truly was the Twitter strategist, consultant for Roger Stone at the time. And then in the middle of all of this hysteria, Roger stands up for some reason. Okay, and, and I want to bring this to everybody. And lies. Okay, I want to bring this to everybody's attention for a moment because it's very important. And it's something that nobody asks questions about. But I'm asking questions now because, again, I've, I've told you, Roger's taken just one too many swipes at me. And I've been quiet for five plus years, but no longer. Okay, so Roger stands up in the middle of this mass hysteria and says, it's me. It's me. I'm the one that's communicating with Julian Assange. I have a back channel to Julian Assange. Now think about that. The entire mainstream media and the entire media is trying to make a connection between Donald Trump and the Russians through WikiLeaks. And in the middle of that, his best buddy, so to speak, right? Because Roger says he's his best buddy. Best buddy. He always does. Ro Roger stands up in the middle of all this and says, it's me, it's me, I'm communicating with Julian Assange, I've got the back channel, that made the connection, for God's sakes, wake up, that made the connection, that was like pouring kerosene on, on an inferno, it was like pouring kerosene, yes, it's me, I'm communicating, so did Roger not think that him standing up saying that I'm the one communicating with Julian Assange in the middle of the entire mainstream media, sucking 100% of the oxygen out of the air, saying that Trump is colluding with the Russians through WikiLeaks. Didn't he, Roger, think that that was going to, did he think that was going to help Trump? That, that actually that was, yeah, g gasoline. That would be like setting a match in hell. You know, <laughs> that was did, terrible. Did, 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 does anybody in the world think that Roger Stone's intention was to help Donald Trump at that point by making that claim? Is there anybody in their right mind that thinks that that was Absolutely intended to help not. Donald Trump? No. It was not intended to help Donald Trump. Now, at the time, my my thought process is, okay, well, that's awfully peculiar because I actually have the administrative access to his Twitter account and therefore all of his communications and all the private messages. So I haven't heard of this. I haven't heard of any communications going on with WikiLeaks, and I'm managing the, the Twitter account. I was one of the people that was managing. I think there was one other guy that had access, administrative access to the Twitter account. So... I realize what a damaging claim that is for the country that he's now saying, yeah, I, I'm the connection. I'm the guy. Yes. You know, and, and so who, 
who in the world in the right mind wouldn't think that you know Roger if he's communicating with WikiLeaks that he's not communicating that information to, to Trump so that made the connection for the intelligence community to to try to frame Trump for colluding with the Russians directly or indirectly through WikiLeaks via the number one suspect now is Roger Stone okay yeah so and Julian feel, Assange was actually kind to Roger by saying yeah well let's nice get way. there yeah let's get there so I I go in, I go, hmm, that's interesting because I actually on August 4th, I held a conference call that I that I put together for Roger Stone. It was called um, the ultimate inside, uh, the ultimate political insider. And all this information is on my website, by the way. It's all my news stories. Everything's there. I'll, um, I'm, I just launched a personal website. Like I said, I've been quiet working behind the scenes. Uh, I retreated to working behind the scenes so that I didn't you read know, out. The, what's the website name? So, yeah, so I didn't suffer the consequences of political, you know, um, uh, being attacked, you know, uh, as a political, um, you know, opponent like Julian Assange's. Look at where he's sitting, for God's sakes. But so my website, my personal website now is my name, Jason Sullivan, and the word live, like going live. So Jason Sullivan Live dot com. Jason Sullivan Live, J-A-S-O-N-S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N Live, L-I-V-E dot com. If you want to go there, I'd love to have you. Um, that tells you all about my background. It's got all of my news stories and all the hit pieces that have been done on me. Not all of them, but quite a few. Um, it's it's um, it's some of them are quite comical. Um, Operation Swarm. I talk about that. That's how we helped amplify uh, candidate Trump on election day yep. on November eighth, and that we helped him get over three hundred fifty-six thousand retweets, which which is the no most number of retweets he had ever received in his entire life. Every the average number of retweets that he had received in the height of his campaign was between, um, I believe, twelve thousand retweets and thirty thousand retweets. And all of a sudden, this first tweet of the day on the election day re uh, receives over three hundred fifty some odd thousand retweets. Uh, I might have had something to do with that. Uh, we put together. Yeah, a little you program. did. You know how we, to do that. That's we, that's your magic, right there, Oz. Well, it was, it was once. It was it, it was an opportunity that we had to exploit Twitter, and we took advantage of it, and we we saved it for the date. We saved it for the day because I didn't want it to be shut down before the election day. So we saved it and pulled the trigger on election day, which is the most important day of any election, which is the day of the war cry. That's the yep. day of the. The day of the, you know, the the day of the election is the day of the war cry. That's when everybody says, "Okay, today's the day." Everything, all every, all the blood, all the sweat, all the tears, everything you've sacrificed. This is the day you got to get out there. You got to vote. You got to get your neighbors. You got to pick up people and you know, drive them to the to the polls. Do whatever you got to do. That's the day. So, that's the day I executed Operation Swarm. Oh, by the way, Roger Stone did tweet about my Operation Swarm on election day as well. I have that screenshotted and uh, I have links to that back in the Wayback Machine in case you'd like to deny that. Um, but anyways, we've sent that out through key influencers all across the nation and overnight on the 7th, November 7th, uh, key influencers were rallying their entire networks to sign up on Operation Swarm, which was simply an opportunity to opt in and automatically retweet everything that President or candidate Trump would say on election day. Real simple. And it was perfectly legal. We didn't do anything illegal, and we certainly didn't do anything against Twitter's terms of service because we use their APIs, and their APIs are the ones that feed us the data and enable us to conduct these these applications. So everything we did was above board. We just simply exploited an opportunity that was left open. So basically, they left their flank open, and 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 we we got them. Okay. So the, you know, the next morning, 350 some odd thousand retweets. If you do the math on average, everybody had about 700 followers on average, uh, on it per Twitter account. So if you had 350 some odd thousand people, 
uh, retweet uh, uh, or amplify Trump on the day of the election, the day of the war cry, that means we reached well over 200 and some odd million people with his messages on that day. And did that help motivate some people to get out and maybe go vote that day? Maybe. I don't know. But it was the biggest political upset in, in modern day history, and it certainly didn't happen through the mainstream media. It happened through Twitter. And President Trump has stated many times that he would never be there without Twitter. And I'd like to think that we had a little something to do with it. But, um, you know, back to, to Roger standing up in the middle of that firestorm and pouring kerosene on it to say, yes, I'm the guy that's communicating with Julian Assange when he wasn't. I went back into the, uh, the Twitter account, his Twitter account, because I had administrative access. And I looked in there to see what communication, if any, was taking place between him and WikiLeaks. And lo and behold, there was a communication taking place between WikiLeaks and, and uh, Roger Stone. And guess what it was? Stop saying that you're talking to me. <laughs> Stop saying that you have anything to do with us. The false affiliations are hurting our publication and the Democrats are using it against us. Don't go there if you don't want us to publicly correct you. That was the communicate. That was the extent of the communication going on between Roger Stone and WikiLeaks at the time. WikiLeaks saying, "Stop it, okay." And then, how does Roger Stone and and I'm the only one that had read that, by the way, at the time. The only other person that knew about that communication was me. WikiLeaks, probably Julian Assange, is the person that was messaging, and Roger Stone himself. So there's only three human beings that knew about those communications, and I was one of them. And I look in there and see you, you know, I go, unbelievable. So now I'm thinking, well, why did he do that? Why did he make that claim? Well, obviously, he made it to boost his own profile because that's what Roger does. He insinuates himself into epic uh, events that are taking place and basically makes claim that he's the one that's helping to orchestrate it. That's his MO. I'm sorry to burst anybody's bubble who's, who's listening, and, and I know there's a lot of super fans uh you know for for roger stone roger stone's got a lot of super fans he's got a lot of groupies i'm not one of them I, yeah but they're uh, usually young males that are groupies for him so. right so you know you know and you know that's another story but anyways um i uh i look in there and i realize that that's the communication and then roger's response to wikileaks in famous roger form is to insult them ha the more you publicly correct me, the more it looks like you're lying. Your operation leaks like a sieve. You should find out who your friends are type of thing. That's his message back to, to WikiLeaks. Yeah. And then Roger continues to publicly say that he is communicating with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks and he's got a back channel publicly, which again was like pouring gasoline on top of the fire, which was feeding the mainstream media and the intelligence community's entire narrative, which continued, by the way, to suck 100% of the oxygen out of every White House press briefing room meeting during Trump's entire presidency. So do you think that Roger Stone did Trump a favor? Well, what do you think? I think he was trying to bury him. You know, it's kind of like what I said this past weekend where I had you know, some meetings, I said, you know, the one thing I don't want is my president's face to be on his back. It almost reminds me of those creepy, you know, murderers that collect panties, you know, that the, the face tattoo on the back, I don't want President Trump's face on there. 
because it feels like, you know, the, the have you seen Dexter where he collects blood samples? Others collect panties. I feel like he collects faces of tattoos. And I'm like, no. And 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 that's the feeling I get because I, I, I understand what his he's very good at skirting, you know, both sides. But I feel like he's on the other side more than the side of the people. This is just my perspective. And I'm usually not wrong. Well, you know, you've got a good instinct, Tori, and you've been in this game for a long time. You know, I was uh, naive to an extent because all I wanted to do was help my country. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to have an opportunity to help, you know, candidate Trump win. And I think I ended up doing that. Um, and I got punished for it, you know, because, again, uh, I must have been somewhat effective because I caught the attention of Robert Mueller and they wanted to know when they were interrogating me, they were asking me about my software. <laughs> Okay. Well, they this just wanted to know how you were using it, yeah. you know, and they, who helped you make it too. I'm sure. And, Did you outsource? I, yeah, and I and I told them you wish you knew. Okay, that's what I told them. It's proprietary technology, and you wish you knew is what I told them. And you know, that's something that during the interrogations they told me not to come out and talk about. Okay, because we'll be listening, right? And so that's part of the reason why I continued to you know work behind the scenes. Where I, where I could be more effective. I mean, I figured out how to be effective, you know, behind the scenes. I didn't need to be the guy. I didn't need to be, you know, the person saying, look at me. Hey, it's me. It's me. I didn't need to do that. I, that's not why I signed up for any of this. I, I did this so I can help my country. And I figured, how, you know, if, if, if I pop my head up and they shoot it off, then how effective can I be then? So I'm going to continue to figure out how do I circumvent the censorship practices behind the scenes? How do I build a, a network of, of, you know, of key influencers across the, you know, Twitter and the World Wide Web to where I can leverage them and feed them news and information before everybody else gets it and, and become the quintessential supplier of news and information to a, an army of, you know, of digital influencers and make sure that all of them are sharing it. You know, there's a thing about, a, you know, bees in a, in a swarm, right? By the time you hear the swarm coming, it's too late. It's too late. You're done. And you okay. work with one of my favorite cartoonists, Ben Garrison. I love that guy. Right? You know, when I wrote that article, like, freaking, what was it, like, four or five years ago, before all this Ukraine stuff came out, I was, I had the statement, you know, they all got caught with their hands in the cookie jar, right? And based on that article, he actually made the cartoon where you see Pelosi, Mitt Romney, Biden with their hands in the cookie jar, right? The Ukraine cookie jar. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember that. yeah. Yeah. He is a very smart man and his talent is just exceptional. You know, I would love to, I mean, he should, he should be considered one of, you know, the best political cartoonists out there. Ben has done exceptional things. And I love the fact, you know, that, that, that you work with him and, and he just grasps it, you know, because if anyone goes to your website, that's the first thing I see is my, my fave Ben Garrison and his wife, Tina is amazing too. So, Tina is awesome. Yeah. I know. I, I, I say your name is so nice. You have to say it twice. I call her Tina, Tina. Tina, but, Tina. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, uh, you, I want the, I want to talk. Okay. So stone got busted and of course he got a lot of that shit throwing him under the bus saying, well, that's what he told me because well, that's well, what here's, he was saying. Here, here's the deal. Okay. The, those private communications that only I knew about, I handed them over to the right person because I saw what he was doing to the country. He was destroying the country. Russian collusion was destroying our country, ladies and gentlemen, and they're still talking about it, for God's sakes. Even after the Durham report, which, it, you know, that's another story, took him only four years and two days to tell us everything that we already knew before he was ever appointed by uh, star witness William Barr. Um, well, actually, actually, get this. 
There mm-hmm. is congressional testimony from 2016 where Jeff Sessions is interviewing someone and um, the person says, well, you know, I've already been answering questions to Durham. And mm-hmm. so they asked him, what, who? John Durham. So he was appointed way before Barr. We just didn't know about it. He's another well, one. He was, he was answering to Barr for, yeah. for a period of time, but officially he was appointed by mm-hmm. by, by William by William Barr to in to investigate the the uh, origin of the Russian collusion there, you know, investigation, which is right. which leads back to what the NSA, you know, and then we have to ask ourselves, you know, Robert Storch, who created NABU in Ukraine, right, mm-hmm. in 2009, um, you know, became the IG of the NSA. And now he's the IG of the DOD. No wonder their balance, you know, you can't check the DOD's purse out because they're laundering money in Ukraine. And it's one guy connected to Russia and Ukraine, the Russia hoax in Ukraine. So that's kind of interesting, I would have to say. But it is very interesting. Like that guy is like almost untouchable, but, you know, I'm working on some stuff. But the, 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 the thing that I like about, you know, what you did, like for 2016, not only did we have like that, the viral tweeting and, you know, the social media amplification of let's have discussions because people are scared. People were scared to put out Trump signs on their lawns. Remember, they were like running them over, egging their houses. Right. I remember that that one guy electrified one of his Trump snipe yard signs. That was awesome. Yeah. That was so awesome. I was like, damn. I remember that I was stumping for President Trump and I got 1,500 signs. And at that time I was living in North Dakota and the North Dakota GOP would not, you know, support President Trump. And I took like 1,500 signs and I had gotten rid of them from, you know, um, middle North Dakota all the way out to eastern Montana. And I had lined places like highways i'd give them out to homes and the next day i was like yo i need more signs they were like those were all our signs i was like you gave them to me what if i just threw them in the garbage or something they're like we don't care we don't want him that's what you know um the gop would say even when he was the candidate they still wouldn't utter his well, they, they they worked the, the gop establishment worked against trump all the way to the finish line in fact on the day of the actual convention uh in ohio where he accepted the nomination that actual day, they were still working, trying to move the finish line from 1,237 delegates to a higher number so that he couldn't clinch the number so that they could, they could, they could broker a deal. And they didn't like Trump so much. They were willing to broker a deal with somebody else that they hated, which was Ted Cruz. So they were yeah, trying and, to move the finish line yeah, on the, day of the, the nomination. Yeah. Ted Cruz my you know, I got into a really big public fight with Mark Levin in 2016. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Really big fight. So big. Like he banned me from his Facebook page. And, you know, I was just like you, Jason. I was in the background. I didn't care about someone patting me on the back. I had to go public when they came after me, you know, legally. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'm going to start talking. So that way I'm going to dump stuff, you know, to watch me, you know, um, for protection more than anything. But I remember that fight we had. And I said, you know what? Trump's going to win and you're going to kiss his ass to sell your books. And the minute he's out, because that's their plan, you're going to flip on him again and you're going to stick to the GOP thing. And right. he was so upset because I told him, and look at what he's doing. He did everything I said he would do. I mean, you know, I've been trained in profiling, so it was quite easy. But it, we have a 
lot of those people within our ranks, people that like to stay through establishment lines. And, you know, it was pretty interesting watching you work. They're called well, grifters. See, what does that even mean? Like I'm being called a grifter all the time. And I'm like, oh, I can't be right for seven years on point without deviation, maybe delayed. Cause that's, you know, people. Well, the big there, you know, there, there, there are different definitions, you know, making yeah. a living is, is one thing. And of course everybody's expected to make a, make a living. I mean, your time is valuable mm -hmm. and, and your knowledge and your, 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 your blood and your sweat is, is, is valuable. But there are people that are just, they'll jump to any size of fence to sell a book. You know, uh, and, exactly. And, uh, and did speaking engagement again, five and a plus years. I didn't, I avoided all mainstream media like the plague. If anybody could have written a book, I was definitely one of the people that could have written a book. Okay. And well, the tweets, and, uh, the tweets. I want to see that book. I want all yeah. of those books. I will it's, put it on my website. It's a collection. It's a collection of 100% of all the, the viral tweets that took place on January 6th that, that we collected. As I told you, Bill Benny and Kirk Weeby, they helped me with the automation process, which enabled me to actually do that sting on January 6th. I knew that they were going to censor us. So of course, you know, we all knew, everybody in the world knew that there was going to be a, you know, a, a rally on, on January 6th. And I mean, the, the president of the United States tweeted about it. He said, everybody get here. It's going to be wild, right? Um, so everybody knew that there was going to be a rally that day. Nobody, you know, uh, knew, or at least some, most people didn't know anything about, you know, there was going to be any type of, you know, violence or whatever that took place, anybody that participated in violence and yeah, they, they were probably going to suffer the consequences, but there are so many people that got caught in or whipped into that. Uh, and that was all by design, but bottom line is, um, you know, I knew that they were going to censor, uh, what took place. If anything took place, if there was going to be a false flag, there was high probability. There's a lot of trends that were indicating that there was going to be some type of false flags taking place. You know, everybody talked about, you know, potentially Antifa being there, you know, undercover, all sorts turned of stuff. Out it was all feds, but, but <laughs> on, it, it turned out to be mostly feds. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So but, you know, we didn't, we didn't know all of that, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, surprise, well, I surprise. did, I yeah. did, Jason, I was well, there. Well, I told maybe. them and no one listened. They were just talking Antifa and it's like, yeah. they were there. Like they had organized this. The union said they had put a big together. It was pretty insane. And, you know, even, mm -hmm. even now, like looking back, like even, uh, you know, like Ray Epps, for example, he keeps saying he's not law enforcement. That's because he's either agency, right. Or works right. for the NRO. One of the two, because he seemed to be commanding things. So I would, I would more likely say he was just tapped over the river to do some things. But you know, yeah, he probably, he probably, I mean, he was definitely tapped to do to help organize. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. No, you can't yeah. convince me otherwise. But other than that, he probably didn't know the grand scheme himself either. You know, um, you know, yeah. he was probably, you know, commissioned to hey, go do this, get people to go down there, tell them that that's where the problems are, and that's where we're going to rally, and you know, to do it as soon as the president stopped speaking, he's seen hundred times saying that, you know, on video all over the place, constantly giving orders to people, whispering in people's ears seconds right. before the first breach, you know, obviously. Well, no, and, uh, and the night before I have him on video, that's going to be part of my G6 docu, which mm -hmm. is not going to be aired until a lawsuit is filed. Right. Because mm -hmm. I have all the footage from Alexandria Pelosi and the Capitol. Could you believe sure. that Pelosi gave all that information to you know her daughter and they stored it on hbo servers like who does that and so i i have him on video from the night before with that guy john sullivan that pretends he's an antifa guy or plays yeah, and, and that name is not to be confused that name is not to be confused with my name of course i've had yeah. a couple of people yeah. say well are you related no that, that sullivan is one of the most popular names in the, in the planet but anyways yeah. 
And I, but I yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> we have him. We have him from the night before. You know, talking yeah. with John Sullivan. Not only that, I have right wing influencers. You know, in the morning before the ellipse, right? Asking mm -hmm. people, "Hey, are you going to storm the Capitol?" And I'm like, "Why would you say that?" And they were all part of the yeah. Why would you operation. say that? Well, that's the question. Like, yeah. and these are influencers that people watch on TV, and you're like, "What's going on here?" You know, yeah, what a, what a funny thing to say. Interesting. Yeah. Man, 10 a.m. in the morning, standing outside the Capitol, saying, "Are you going to rush in and go?" And it's like, wait a minute. And I had that conversation on January 5th you know, over at the Freedom Plaza, where I was like, man, they're going to storm a building because they were talking about it on Zoom calls. But yeah. why would the right want to join in on that, too? That's Could right. They, well, the know, left was on Zoom calls discussing, you know, yeah. storming buildings all well, over. Well, they're on them right now. I'm monitoring every single one of them. Mm, well, good, good you know? for you. Yeah. What, 2024? It, 2020 is going to look like a like kindergarten. So they, the funny thing, the, the funny, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to, I was touching on your point about January 6th, what we did is we knew that they were going to censor because they had a, a huge track record of censoring and, and, and deleting things conveniently that they, they, that they didn't like, that they don't want amplified, and they, they want it smothered. They want it gone. So we knew that that would take place. So we created this automated system to monitor 100% of all the viral events that were taking place on January 6th, and that as soon as they went on the trajectory to becoming a viral event, our systems would automatically trigger and submit that information to our our servers, and we would literally capture snapshots of, of the the image you know, images of the tweets, the the content, the metadata, everything else, and the the URLs of everything, and then shortly thereafter, Twitter starts purging, scrubbing, and purging exculpatory evidence off of the Twitter platform on January six as it's happening. So as videos are being uploaded showing Trump supporters tackling uh, dubious-looking people that are smashing windows, telling them, no, that's not us, get them off the windows, those videos were being deleted, okay? They were yeah. being scrubbed off of Twitter. So our systems had already captured them because they were – anything that's newsworthy, it's worthwhile, especially on a day like that, starts to go viral. And if it starts to go viral, our systems triggered it and flagged it and captured it before Twitter ever – scrubbed it. So we have the world's only full collection of 100% of the viral events that took place in January 6 that Twitter proactively and aggressively through system and design scrubbed from the internet so that the J6 committee could therefore after when they were created uh, cherry pick whatever they want and say that this is the narrative. But we destroyed that narrative with my data because January 6 J6 committee of course, contacted my attorneys, and I go, here we go again, right? Here we go again. It, it's yeah. going to happen all over again. And sure enough, they start asking me about all my emails and all my communications that are that are um, uh, responsive is the term that's used. All of your communications that are responsive to January 6th, leading up to January 6th, during January 6th, after January 6th. So I go, here we go again. But this time, I said, well, I'm glad you called me. Because if your job is to find out exactly what took place on January 6th, then I'm your guy. Because I actually captured 100% of every viral event that took place on January 6th. And about 70% of it um, has been deleted conveniently from Twitter. And if it argues or, or um, goes against the current narrative that you know Trump somehow 
coordinated this coup against his own government. If it goes against that narrative, 100% of it's been deleted. And I have it all, by the way. So here you go. Here, take it. I have some more. Would you like some more? Okay. And then basically, you know, said, I, I actually have some. Would you like some more? And basically, they said, they went quiet on me. They said, and my attorney said, I don't think they want to talk to you anymore, Jason. I go, well, why not? You know, I, I actually have more. They should take some more. You know, so I, I sent them everything because they asked for it. You know, they contacted me because they wanted to put me through hell all over again. And I was ready for them. And I gave them 100% of everything that actually was scrubbed off of the Twitter platform, which destroyed the entire narrative that Trump, you know, uh, was pulling a coup against his own government. Yeah, it was them. We have them on video saying that they're going to have a federal coup. And that's what's even crazier. But, you know, I I was thinking, like, your book has all these viral tweets. I remember I was on the plane flying out of D.C. on January 8th. 30 minutes. That's my last actual tweet. Believe that digital not. book, by the way, got uh, cancel culture. It got scrubbed. I'll, I'll get it back up. And we're actually going to put together a physical book as well. And when I do, then, you know, maybe we'll Will Amazon not let you. Amazon lets everybody. Did they not let you? Uh, we use I can't think of the name of the th- third party platform that we use, but eventually it got taken down after it. You know, apparently, you know, the intelligence community probably made a phone call. Well, they always make phone calls. That's why I say I was banned by the Twitter I see. But um, it's it's interesting because I, it was like I was on my plane and 30 minutes before the purge, I was I, I tweeted out, it's happening. That was actually my last tweet. And then I was purged. <laughs> yeah. I was gone. Uh, you know, as the plane was taking off, they were purging. And that was that was so coordinated. I think they they deleted like what was it, like 1.5 million accounts? Like just like that. And yeah. for those of you that haven't seen his digital book, when you get it up, I want to put it out there. You guys have to see the tweets that were being sent on January 6th and right before it too, because they were kind of incredible and very telling where the people sat and how President Trump felt about everything you know how they made it look like he was inciting things and and it was false it was all a false narrative and we have the entire network of all the disinformation operatives that are trying to form and and sew a narrative together how they're communicating together how they are coordinating together how they're using the same verbiage in this in the same uh terms and, and and messaging within their messages we we expose every last one of them that are actually in involved in the disinformation operations that were that were painting that narrative we have them all now um so jason you're launching you've launched actually your new podcast too which is fascinating actually, it comes from just, someone like you thank you i just announced the name of it uh it's okay. it's going to be called unleashed that's badass <laughs> okay i like that. i do I, th- I think it's time i think it's time to to, to be unleashed and to talk about everything everyone and and you know and expose characters you know that maybe some you know think are heroes and they're not oh my gosh there's so many of those and and sometimes when i see it i have a phone in my bedroom which is a phone that i just throw right it's my throwing phone it's an old i think it's like a (laughs) iphone you have a phone that you just have to throw that i just have to throw when i'm upset because i see people and i'm like damn why are they listening to this person this person is literally regurgitating lines that someone else just regurgitated and it's on the right more so than on the left the left i think is starting to wake up they're starting to be more critical you know and the people on the right they're so clicky like they all had like zoom calls no offense oz right 
but I would watch all of that and I'd be like, what a show rather than just be open and, and, and connect, you know, with the people and amplify the right messages. I mean, you know, they're just circle thumping. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I didn't, I didn't have any zoom calls. No, I know, but they did <laughs> yeah, based yeah. on, on talking points and they're still doing it, which is, you know, right now what we're seeing is a big purge in the alternative conservative circle um, of those that were actually, you know, not supposed to survive uh, because they didn't really have anything to provide. They were just thumping each other. Does that make sense? One thumps the other. Um, And I think that was evident from the little amount that I got to see, uh, you know, behind the scenes from your book. Um, I saw patterns in the way the tweets were going out and what accounts it came from. Right. And I found that extremely interesting. And I believe that that book with those that that will be actually something that people study when it comes to uh, data analyses for OSINT. Right. Because I think that's one thing President Trump needs to create is an OSINT division, you Mm -hmm. know of just very skilled people that understand humans and are able to assess, you know, the pulse of the message or actually finding the source of the message. Like for you, I e- I was easily able to pinpoint you back in 2016 as the source because of the way the things were going out. Do you see what I'm saying? And it was and it was fascinating to watch you work. You know, even the 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 global prayer with Graham that happened that was incredible. I don't know who put that on, but I believe that the reason President Trump won was because of that, that there was like this really long prayer, you know, there. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to listening to Unleashed because you have a lot to say and you have a lot of insight on these things. And a lot of people don't know who you are, Jason. And people like you that don't exist need to be more on the, you're an existential threat though. <laughs> to well, the power to be, but can, they need to be, you know, more there. So I when can, are you putting your first episode and where? Yeah, thank you. I, I can tell you it, it is going to be wild. Um, mm. I, I'm not going to, as the name implies, I'm not going to hold back. Um, you know, I mean, it, all of it, the Russian collusion, where it came from, how it actually originated, where it actually started. You know that the, you know, that, that, um, that narrative was going around that that dossier was a was an off the shelf dossier that they just basically removed you know certain names of certain billionaires and and substituted oh my then. gosh stop, stop stop wait let me tell you the funniest part you know the yeah. whole peeing on the bed thing do you know who actually got caught in nevada at a brothel peeing on a bed i have no idea Harry Reid, the guy that delivered the damn dossier oh, to mother gracious. jones i was actually in dc looking like jelly roll and Graham and McCain were flanking me to my left discussing yeah. that Harry Reid was on his way to mother Jones with it. Yeah. You know what? And, and of course it was McCain that handed it over to, uh, to, to Comey. Um, so, yeah. you know, that's, you know, those are the guys that actually funded the dossier in the first place. It was the rhinos. And then they, when, when, uh, you know, Trump, you know, beat up poor low energy Jeb, and they realized that the you know the gig was up. There's no way that uh, Jeb is going to be able to beat Trump. Then they figured, okay, well we let's go ahead and hand it over to Hillary now, and she can pick up where we left off with it. But again, that that uh, dossier was created long before them as well. It was actually about two billionaire mm-hmm. brothers um, in Monaco, and it was created. Uh, the dossier. I worked was- that desk. I worked that desk in Monaco. 
I have oh, some really you. nice Polaroids from there. Yeah, let's talk about that story on on, on another call. But it was uh, yeah. that was that that dossier had already been created about two other billionaire brothers, and they were uh, setting them up to make them look like they were colluding with the Russians. And that was the original origination of the dossier. The you know the the rhinos got took a dossier that was basically ready and off the shelf because they needed it in a very in a in a hurry, and so they took this dossier that was off the shelf, substituted some names. Uh, inserted Trump's name in into it, and then you know presented that as you know, and then brought in Christopher Steele and Fusion GPS, of course, to help dress it up. But uh, whole nother story. But uh, yeah, well, well, Fusion GPS and and Christopher Steele, you know, even on the Assange uh, call, like I was referencing Adam Waldman, right? Yes, who was who was negotiating everything. He was negotiating Christopher Steele and Julian Assange and that there were concessions that were going to be made and all of these things. Nobody talks about that. It's like that didn't exist. And I'm like, hey, can we go back to the beginning, you guys? And, you know what else nobody you know, talks about? You know what else nobody talks about? Tell me. Nobody, nobody talks about uh, UC Global flying uh, mm. into Las Vegas and meeting with Sheldon Adelson. Mm. That. Well, we can't talk about that yet. Now, you know, like I, you know, it, 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 it smacks me in the face. Sometimes we have all these intelligent people, all these, but we all don't come to the table. Our think tanks are useless, right? Completely useless because nobody comes to the table and takes information from everyone to kind of just put the puzzle pieces together. And you're right. Like UC Global worked with the analysis corporation, CGI, like Damien Pearl, right? Who is, you know, the guy that sits behind the really, really elite fund, right? Called the Damazian Group, right? They're the ones that fund everything, including UC Global. That's like the covert ink you tell. I'm putting it out there, been putting it out there for years. And, you know, no one's talking about it. How else did they pull off the Vegas shooting? You see what I mean? Like nobody wants to talk about that. And, and that's really hard. I'm hoping to hear a lot of that on Unleashed. Well, let's see. You know, we, we shall see. But, um, you know, it'll it'll come out in a in a time and a choosing of our of of our choosing, and it will be you know timing is sometimes is everything, but uh, there is no more time to be fooling around. Obviously, we are in a dire situation currently with the NATO Russia proxy war going on in Ukraine, uh, and this has been you know the epicenter of of of, of everything. The Russian collusion narrative, the whole nine. It's all been set up to 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 you know end so that we can go. Russia is a threat, obviously, to the, to the global cabal and and um, you know and their and their system of order and and they have to uh, they have to get rid of them in order to eliminate that threat and also capitalize on all of their resources and you know so we're at, we're at a very dangerous time and we have people that are pushing for war. I mean, we have people in Congress right now that are pushing. What is it? Tom Cotton, I think, uh, isn't he out of Colorado? Isn't he? Uh, Who's he? A, he's a co congressman or a senator? I can't think. Cotton. Anyways, senator Tom Cotton. I yeah, think. Senator Tom Cotton, and he's out there advocating right now, saying Russia's weaker than we, we than we thought they were. Shouldn't shouldn't that affect our our current uh, planning or or, or, or uh, proactive strategic planning? Basically, we should take them out now. Is what he's saying. I mean, these why, people are why? Russia. Russia's not. He's Tom Cotton. Yeah, he's the senator from Arkansas. So Russia oh, doesn't benefit if we're eliminated, right? Because you need the two sides. To, and I'm not saying sides in regards to the people, but you need 
competition. And that is how nations thrive, right? So I don't understand why we would take out Russia when they're not a threat to us. China is. We do what we always do. We just install a, a, a friendly administration, you know? Um, emphasis well, on we word. can't do that on Russia because the CCP is all over that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Emphasis on the word, you know, friendly. But friendly. Uh, these people think that, you know, that we can, we should proactively take Russia out. You know, right now. I mean, that's insanity. Russia yeah. actually has more nukes than we do. Okay. And they have them up in space more than we do. You know, there's a, and and, and I'm not supporting Putin in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Uh, you know, he's he's a bulldog. He's a junkyard dog. But you better, you know, you don't have to like a junkyard dog, but you better respect it. And if you and if you corner a junkyard dog, you bet, you know, best believe he's going to bite you. Okay, so we better respect the situation that's going on. Putin is a junkyard dog that if he's cornered and we are cornering him, he's going to bite us. And, uh, you know, we have some insane people that are running right now that think it's a good idea to do that. And, you know, the rest of us are in the balance. It's always the people that suffer the consequences of these these asinine people that have muscled their way into positions of power and uh, manipulate their ways to, to stay there. Uh, and, and protect the old boys club so that they can stay in power and, and, and have, you know, career po political uh, uh, 30 years long political careers to where they're completely mired in the mud and they're completely um, corrupt. And, uh, you know, it's all about them and it's all about nepotism and it's all about their families and everything else. We learned all about that with Hunter Biden and, 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 uh, and, 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 and the big guy. OK, so that's what's going on. And it's the poor people that are suffering the consequences. I, I would, I would, I would, I would beg to argue that most people in the United States don't don't have any hatred toward anybody that's that's Russian. <laughs> okay. No, um, in fact, and, in and fact, Jason, yeah. we should make Russia right. I mean, with Trump out of the picture, right? They can, you know, regain the territory of their own citizens because they do acknowledge them as their citizens. They've been with them for eons, right? There's a lot of factions, you know, in multiple nations that w could have been nations, but they're not, you know what I mean? And so I make him right. That was the opportune time to grab some footing in Ukraine. But you know what sucks? I really wish that we had better relations with the French, but we can't do that with the geriatric lover Macron in there right now, right? Because, right. you know, Trackfin could give us everything, you know, the French are the best when it comes to financial covert financial circuits, right? And so they are the best in the world. And if only we had better relations with the geriatric, and I say this geriatric because you know he married his school teacher, right? His right. school teacher that raised him, he married her. So, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I really wish we had a better relationship because we would have more. Remember, they're the ones that pulled financial records from the Swiss. And that's a big deal when you can penetrate Swiss banks when they did the whole Lagarde papers, right? And then she became, did you know that Christine Lagarde, who's like the head of the IMF, was like the head of the Financial Intelligence Crime Unit in France? And she bullied every single nation in Europe with documents that she had extracted from the Swiss banks to throw them in jail if they didn't abide by EU requests. And she was um, able to extract the documents from the Swiss bank. Everything, yeah. It's, it was called the Lagarde list. Wow. You know, yeah. and she blacked me. I was there in Europe when all this went down. And I was watching it. And I was like, damn, how'd she do that? You know? And That's a good maybe trick. 
yeah, no, hey, it's Swiss banks. These are numbered accounts. So yeah. it's very difficult to be putting a name to whatever. So she blackmailed the shit out of the Spaniards, the Greeks, the Italians to, to, to get their loyalty to, you know, the World Economic Forums, well, the UN system, basically, right? That, that started with the EU. So that was fascinating. And now that she's head of the IMF, and pretty much deploys Goldman Sachs wherever she wants, right? Because when you see Goldman Sachs entering a country, you're like, damn, they're screwed, right? So, you know, it's pretty incredible how we as a nation that have more resources, I would assume, than the French can't do the same thing to whittle out all the financials uh, that all of these politicians claim to not have. Like, I'm very vocal about the fact I don't trust Jim Jordan at all. And, you know, the interesting is, thing is a lot of senators and congressmen don't either. So, you know, well, I think you know, I don't I don't trust any, I don't trust any of them, Tori. I don't trust right. any of them. Any, you know, and, and I think it was Julian Assange that said, that, you know, once it, once uh, if D.C. was exposed, 98 percent of them would go down. And I, and I think that's yep. probably I think that's probably accurate. You know, I, I'd like to to chat briefly, if you don't mind. And I and I have a hard stop here in probably about 10 minutes. Um, yep. But, uh, you know, I'd like to talk about some solutions. Yes, and please. We, you know, we have, we're a reactive species, right? I mean, things take place, 9-11 happened, we react, right? And, and we didn't react properly there, obviously, that we went and attacked uh, Iraq. That's a whole other story. Again, another, another disinformation operation, weapons of mass destruction. Everybody remembers that. These disinformation operations are wrecking our world. And my job has been to identify these disinformation operations and to expose them. And we want to do that on a, a much grander scale. Uh, and we're working on that. I've got a team of people that are experts in intelligence and open source intelligence and signal intelligence, everything else that you can possibly imagine. And, and we're going to be doing a expert job at starting to expose some of these disinformation operations and the operatives that are involved in driving them. If, if you don't know, the operations that are set against you and the people that are involved in these operations, you don't stand a chance of surviving, let alone uh, thriving. So we, we have to expose these operations that are taking place. And they're constantly disrupting and undermining uh, our republic in our democratic society. Can I say that? Right. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. But, you know, disinformation is also a very useful tool, too. It can, um, it can be, right? It can, it can be. Of course it can be. But what I'm saying specifically are there are very um, there are ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. Okay. Mm. Ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing that have disinformation operations that are intended to divide all of us and to disrupt entire movements. Okay. Look at the whole, you know, MAGA being, you know, labeled as a, you know, a uh, domestic terrorist. Uh, threat and things of that nature. That's the type of disinformation operations that I'm talking about here. And we're going to do an expert job of exposing a lot of these groups, but th that's part of it. The, that's the, fascinating. The, the, the true solution here, and, and you're gonna, that's going to be part of Unleashed as well. We're going to be dropping truth dossiers. Everybody's heard about fake dossiers, and we know the people that are behind these fake dossiers, and they spend millions of dollars and, and months and years putting these fake dossiers together. But we, on our side, have not had an apparatus that has been set up uh, efficiently to combat those that that entire industry of fake dossiers that is attacking our our, our nation as we speak. We have not had an, oper uh, an apparatus that has been efficient at attacking and um, 
you know, going against these fake dossiers. So we are putting together, I'm announcing it right now, that we are putting that together. And it is going to be extraordinary, to say the least. And Unleashed will, um, a lot of our shows, we will be dropping truth dossiers on certain individuals. If anybody is in the way of us having transparent elections, they're going to win a free dossier. Compliments of us. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Repeat that. If the, anyone what? If anyone stands in the way of transparent elections, they are going to win a free dossier. Ooh. Complimentary. Okay. So that is the answer. We're, we're talking about a, a Gordian knot here. Everybody knows the story of the, the Gordian knot. You probably do. I'm sure. Tori. Yeah, I've talked but, about it before. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Alexander the Great, right, was conquering lands uh, throughout Asia as he came across a certain land. There was a king that left a riddle for him that was, I think, ill in bed, but he was uh, Alexander was met by the ambassador, and he met Alexander and presented the riddle to him. And there was basically like a horse carriage with a horse axle, you know, two big wheels and a horse axle, you know, the axle, and a large rope that was tied in a big ball around the, the, the axle. And it was tied so tight that you couldn't wiggle it loose in any, any direction, and both ends of the rope were completely tucked into the knot so you couldn't find either end of the, of the rope and the riddle was he who unties this knot will be the ruler of the land so after alexander the great examines it and realizes that it's tied so tight it's it's hard like a rock and you can't find either end of the rope you can't wiggle it you can't jiggle it you can't cajole it you can't even pry it loose you know he examines it he looks at the ambassador he says does it matter how i untie the knot the ambassador couldn't answer him one way or the other so he unsheathed his sword and he hacked it in half Okay. Yep, that's exactly what I would have done too. So what we have here, many of our discussions, which are all very important, but it is one big Gordian knot. Our, our government is a big Gordian knot. All of these different policies and laws upon laws and, and, and uh, you know, uh, arguments and fake arguments and, and uniparties and everything, it's one big Gordian knot. And I'm telling you, the solution to chop that Gordian knot in half is 100% transparent elections. 100%. Now, I'm not saying in this venture, just to make myself clear, as I move forward in this venture, we're not going to be saying that anybody stole an election and we want Trump reinstated. And, and that argument is dead already. The Democrats have won that argument, unfortunately. And there's not a court in the land that wants to talk about anything to do with election fraud. I know that sounds blasphemous, but that is the you know that's the that's the reality of it right now. And there's no judge in the country that wants to even hear that phrase. If they hear the phrase election oh, fraud, oh, they're going to hear it though, Jason. You know, I ran for office just for that, and yeah, right. I just got a big fat bill, and I'm going to federal court. I took the state route all the way to the Supreme Court, and we need to show that election fraud isn't just at the ballot box. It starts at the very beginning from the petitions, how they want to choose. Like you said, it's like a nepotism thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, the the courts have been intentionally worn out is what I'm trying to say. Like the judges don't want to hear about the election fraud. What I'm saying is we can be more effective. I'm talking about the Gordian Knot solution here. The Gordian Knot solution is having 100% transparent elections. We don't want anything more. We don't want anything less. We just want transparency. Now, that's an argument that we, anybody in the country can get behind. It's nonpartisan. It doesn't matter if you're white, yellow, blue, black, pink, or purple, Democrat, independent, or Republican. That is a completely nonpartisan issue. We all want 100% transparency, nothing more, nothing less. 
That's something that everybody can get behind. And that's something that we can force every state and every election official in the country to to comply with. And that's going to be part of it. That's going to be our strategy. Our core competency to our strategy is forcing transparency right now. We want elections by the people. That's the mantra. Elections by the people, not elections by algorithms hidden, hidden in a black box that nobody's allowed to see. And Except that's what we have. Right. That's right. That's what we have right now. We have elections that are being tabulated by algorithms that are hidden in a black box that the American people are not allowed to see. Okay. Well, that's that's what that was something that I wanted to get the counting software. Let's see how that works because I can that's recreate right. ballots. I mean, I remember I was down in DC on November tenth, and I was like, "Who cares if you recount? They're going to manufacture the evidence." That's the whole point. They we, saw we it. The they saw who didn't vote. They saw who did vote. They saw who they could switch. They took the dead people, and they will manufacture it. Done they, to match sure. the digital. So so if we have transparency to where we see how the process actually works mm -hmm. all the way through. From 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 begin to end, and there's and there's a chain of custody throughout it. Then there's no way to cheat. So well, we need paper ballots done. We need paper ballots, and I think you were the one that said it. If I can check my five dollar bill in the middle of nowhere, I should be able to check the validity of my ballot too. Yeah, you can go to Seven Eleven, and anybody with a little marker can put put a marker pin on your hundred dollar bill to tell you whether or not it's real or not. So why don't we have that in our election systems? Why don't we have serialized, watermarked paper ballots? Okay. Mm. That could be a good part of the solution, of course. So again, we are launching that initiative. We've actually just built that website as well. So what's the website you could, name? You could put that up. That is, uh, we're starting a super PAC. We're, we're, we're launching it as we speak. Go. It is called American integrity project.org for dot organization, American integrity project.org. And I would call on all of you to go there, uh, AmericanIntegrityProject.org. That's it. Very good. Thank you. And um, I would encourage everyone to go there and support us. I mean, that is the Gordian Knot solution. I'm there. You're awesome. You know, the only, way, the only way, Tori, that the American people are ever going to get their country back again, and mark my words, if nobody ever remembers anything that I ever say, the only way the American people will ever get their country back again is if the if the people can hold their politicians accountable again. And the only way that the American people will ever be able to hold their politicians accountable again is if we have 100% transparent election systems, period. We yeah, need well, how are we going to do that? I know that I've... Yeah, but I've been working really hard. I think I've told you this, trying to track down some really old machines. I've only found it at the Henry Ford Museum in Michigan um, because, you know, the one argument. Yeah. And we're looking to see if we can actually borrow it. But the one argument that they always seem to thump is we have to be able to count the votes, uh, you know, immediately. I'm thinking back in the 70s with the magnetic tape, right? We had the results when the last person cast their vote. You, you should be auditing as in real time as you go. You should be yes. auditing as you go. But, you know, we're not doing that. They, they act mm -hmm. as if we need to be paying millions and millions of dollars. When the actual fact is, on January 6, 2017, Obama's administration created CISA, right? right. And that uh, violated the state sovereignty for digital 
digital state sovereignty. Done. DHS runs our elections. They gave our IPs away to DHS. Every single state now is being housed, mined, protected, and observed by DHS. And they're using another kind of incutel thing called cis security, right? Which is DHS. And so Jay Johnson did that before President Trump came in because they had not been successful at stealing the elections in 2016. They thought, well, all the rest of them were going to continue and they had to abide by the law. That's why they didn't recertify machines. That's why they didn't have quorums. That's why they took over everything. And you know, at the crux of it, the person who had the most evidence of this operation of attempting to steal the 2016 elections and then going forward to actually take over is Kemp. And where's Kemp? Remember, he caught DHS in his election machines. Well, you should look. You should also look back to year 2002 with the Help America Vote Act. I think you Stop. looked into that. Yeah, no, that's my jam. The Help yeah. America Vote Act was created. You know, that idea when we sat down and talked about it, it was 99 when the discussions had started, right. but we were looking at other nations, not ours, right? Mm -hmm. But um, that was when the FBI started collecting data on people. And they thought going forward, we're going to put them all on a digital system for voting. That way we can assess who the threats are to the government, which, you know, one would say threats to our government like national security. Well, you know, remember, what did the FBI whistleblowers get told by Congress? You, are you not loyal to us, to the government? And it's like, no, I'm loyal to the U.S. Constitution. And they were like, you have to be loyal to us, the government. Yeah. And that tells you everything you need to know when they're like, you need to show you know, allegiance to the government, something that the Democrats do very well, um, you know, as an entity on their own. But we all know they're the same party. So mm. it's the unit party. It it's, is. Party. Tori, you know, I, I really enjoy our conversation. Me too. As we always have. And this, I think this is the first time I've, I've been on your show, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know why. I mean, yeah, I do know why. I usually don't bring people on because, you know, I only bring people that I consider friends to the people. And, and I haven't been doing any shows. Too. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know what? You're a friend of the people and people don't even know you exist. And uh, some people may, and there's, you know, there's things out there of salty people, but wait, let me just say something on the truth dossier before we end this. Um, so are you going to be like truth dossiering like influence operations or politicians? Like, cause I can help you out with that OSINT. I have probably the best, like there are some people that are in my groups as a state when they were looking into fighting the election fraud and getting things done that would put to shame people that have been trained at Langley, right? They're just so, I have this one mom with like a million kids and I'm like, where did she find that Eric document? Like, I, I, what? I know. I know, I know you're connected, Tori. There's no question about that. I mean, we, will, we can give we you all you want. If it's like influence operations, I probably have a room for that. You know, oh, you've already um, helped me. You've already helped us on a couple of things. I appreciate that. We won't talk about that publicly. Yeah, but, no. Um, you know, uh, regarding the Trump, you know, yeah, uh, individual. We got that. But yeah. um, listen, you know, we got to keep up the good fight. You know, when you ran for secretary of state and you said that you were running on the platform of having, you know, transparent elections, that's why I, that's why I said, of course, I'll support you. You know, I mean, that's what this is all about. That is, that is the fight. Hey, you I know? only needed the 1%. That's all I wanted to prove. The 1%. I, mean, yeah. I wasn't even on the ballot, Jason. Like oh, I wasn't I'm, on the ballot till like well, 30 days before the election. Right. I they still didn't got 1%. They, they, it was, a, you know, that was a sad thing, but you know what? You helped blaze a trail 
to uh, for others, you know, that will continue to want to fight. And wow. we've, we've got to stay in that fight. But I'm telling you, American Integrity Project is going to be the home base for planning moving forward on how to force transparent election systems. And again, I don't care who you are. You, you could be a senator, you know, a, a senator, a congressman, a, a secretary of state, a governor, an election official, local level, state level, you know, federal level. doesn't matter. It, we're coming to see you. I can promise you that. And we're going to present you with some with some solutions. And if you are putting up, um, if you're in a, if you're an adverse to having transparent elections, it's going to catch our attention, and you're going to expose yourself. And as soon as you do, and you let us know that you are putting up a, a fight against having transparent elections, you are going to win a free dossier, and you're going to be famous. And uh, Tori, we'll. Uh, We'll talk about yeah, that. We'll talk about that. I'm I'm like, I already have candidates. Let's go. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, you know, like I said, like at my run, it was like, who knows? I could win and I'm in it to win. But the, I am winning because now I can show crimes from the beginning to the end. And You're it's already documented on a state side. So taking it federal is a cakewalk. And maybe I'll get all that money and pour it into a campaign for someone. Who knows? Um, get all that money back and do more for it. Um, I'm really excited that you came on. I'm excited that I had you on um, because, you know, a lot of people don't know good people like you that are fighting. Uh, they don't understand how utilizing every voice is important, regardless if someone thinks, um, you know, they're this or that. Because there's some characters out there that are very stern in the statements that they make uh, under, you know, clandestine profiles. Right. right. But, um, mm -hmm. And, and, and it's okay. That. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people that are gray hats and we have to kind of like work and, you know, pet them in a way like, Hey, maybe you want to go this way. Cause you're just feeding the alligator. Maybe we can change their hearts. And, and, you know, even though I say self-preservation is usually the key because people might perceive individuals that are willing to make immense sacrifices and take substantial risks and put the needs of others, uh, you know, above others, that they're really good people. But that perception can lead to a very high level of trust in their dedication to, <coughs> to fight for the rights and the interests they serve. But on the other hand, it could be a covert operation too. That's right. And and, how, do, and, how do people suss that out? Well, we need transparency. We have to insist on transparency and, you know, people have to trace information here. Here's my suggestion for that. Stop trusting sources, right? All of us can be a victim of disinformation from time to time. I've I have shared things from time to time here and there. I try not to ever do it, but I have been guilty of sharing something that turned out not to be true. And as soon as you find that out, then I, I always make sure I, I make a point of going back and correcting it and saying, you know what, I actually made a mistake here. And, and after doing further digging, found this out, right? And this is the reality of it. So what I'm saying is do that. You know, don't share everything as it's the gospel just by because it's clickbait. That's that's part of the plan of these disinformation operations. To sensa it feeds you sensationalized information because it's clickbait and they know that and they'll just get you to share it because you're too busy doing, you know, living your life, living, you know, day to day, week to week, month to month to where most people don't have the tenacity or the will uh, to go and, and do the investigations to find out whether or not it's true before they share it. And so they're counting on that. They're counting on you sharing information before you've actually checked it out. So my uh, my my call, my plead with all of you in, in the audience and, um, and and to tell everyone that you know, please 
investigate things. And the way that you do that is you trace every piece of individual information back as close as humanly possible to its original source. Try to do that. Make that part of your, your, your routine before you share things as the gospel. Because only through that process will you have the eurekas that are required for you to be able to have an intelligent conversation about the things that you're sharing. And will give you the opportunity to vet out whether or not it's legitimate or not. So if everybody would just do that before they share things automatically as the gospel... You know, if you're going to share it, say, you know, at least say, hey, I've checked this out. I haven't completely vetted it yet, but it looks interesting. You know, check it out. Maybe you can actually help other people help you vet it and, and check it out as well. But please don't share it as the gospel before you've actually traced it down as close as humanly possible to the original source. That's responsible. You know, we have to be good stewards of the information that, uh, that we come into possession with. And knowing that there are real, real world effects um, that is the point of controlling the, the public discourse, is getting people to think a certain way. And the intelligence communities and our, and our globalists want us to think a certain way. And they're doing everything in their power and spending on you know, godly amounts of money to, to be able to control that narrative. And so what we have to do, we the people, research, 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 and then find the truth before we share it. And that's my best suggestion. That's that's that is the best. I tell people just trust your gut, man. Like okay. your gut can't waver you wrong. I've put up your Twitter profile. That's not your old Twitter. This is a brand new one, as I see um, that you've just come on. I still don't have my old Twitter profile. I still, yeah, I still don't have and my well, old. Well, we're one. under investigation. That's why. That's what I mean. <laughs> 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 yeah. we, they're still waiting to see when they're going to step out of line so we can collect these people. But um, mm -hmm. that's uh, Jason's Twitter. Um, you can follow him at Jason is aboard. Um, I love the statement. It all begins when they told you it couldn't be done. I'm always up for a challenge, and I love it. It. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see. I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, if you do a Michael Hayden, I definitely want to be in on that. Brennan, <laughs> Clapper, whatever dossier you want. I'm actually in the middle. I'm almost done because I bake some data into my videos and stuff. I'm actually almost done with my Clapper video and I have a Brennan one too. We're kind of walks people through them as a person, um, which I find really important because we have so many videos out there that are decentralized that when put in a sequential order makes sense. And that's the thing. We don't have a centralized full profile on these people from what's already available. I don't have to violate state secrets or, you know, violate any OPSEC rules when all of the information is out there. It's just so decentralized. And I think your truth dossiers will do just that collect all the information that's out there and maybe some information that may have been leaked, right? Um, yeah. To kind of put together a profile. And I love that. And I can't wait for Unleashed. Someone was like, where's it going to be on? And what are you going to be doing? I mean, the minute I know, I'll tell you guys too anyway, and I will share that. <clears throat> but um, yeah. Jason, with your first dossier, I just want to call dibs. Okay. <laughs> when that comes out, I want to be like, hey, let's talk about this dossier together. Well, it's going to be wild. That's what I can promise you. It will be wild, and our dossiers are going to be devastating. I can, I yep. can say, I can say that confidently. Man, if uh, you're doing influencers, I'm all getting that cringy, you know, Hollywood, you know, paparazzi feel, where I'm kind of excited, like you know, like those weird Inquirer magazines at the supermarket where you look at it and it's like the title looks good. Let me look at this 
crap. <laughs> but I just can't wait to to see what you come up with. I think we do need a lot more truth, a lot more transparency. And that's the thing. Julian Assange said it, said it best, right? If wars can be started by lies, then truth can peace, kind of end them. Peace can be started by truth. Yep. And, that's and that's exactly. the way it is. And truth is ugly. And it, we don't always like it. Right. But I think it's important that we have it at this day and age. It, you know, that people keep talking about state secrets. What's secret? People that have access to quantum computing have access to everything, even the NSA databases. So I don't understand. Well, it is we going to be is going to be the season of uncomfortable truths coming up. Mm. Well, it's the year of the R's, right? We've mm -hmm. got reigniting flames. We've got retribution, redemption, repentance. Damn, it's coming back. And the revival of America is coming now. So that's uh, it's going to be a nice summer, I think. Amen. Thing. All right. Well, um, I thank you so much, Jason. I've taken a lot of your time, and I know you're busy. This was um, fun. I uh, yeah, I was. And, you know, my audience, they, 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 they like you too. I mean, reading some of the comments, I mean, m the Korean ones, I can't really read all of them. I'm not fluent yet in Korean. I'm still trying to learn, but, um, Chinese. Yeah. Forget about that. I can't, those go by too fast, but rumble, you know, everyone, you know, they, they like it. Well, that's they awesome. Like and I I'm like glad, that. I'm glad that I got them to meet you because we talk on things and we do things you know, and, um, it's important that people know that people like you do exist and that there are a lot of people with different talents and, and perspectives fighting for the people because they want a better tomorrow too. So I appreciate well, you. I appreciate you. And I'll, I'll have to have you on unleashed if you'll, if you'll, uh, if you'll have, oh, man. yeah, as long as there's like a glass of scotch on the rocks and it's really unleashed. Okay. I do so game. We can arrange. We can arrange that. <laughs> I'll okay. come out to you so I could get some sun. Well, um, I, I appreciate your audience and uh, and for taking the time for being here and, and sticking with us this long. Uh, this was a lot of fun. It uh, was. There is so much more to come. And again, uh, transparency, transparency, transparency. The truth will set us free. Always. God bless you, Jason. Can't wait yep. for Unleashed. God bless thanks, you. Thanks All for joining us. Bye bye. Bye. So guys, there you go. That's Jason Sullivan, an amazing guy, right? That, um, you know, I kind of, I, I love his work. I've seen his work uh, in many capacities. And, you know, I, all I can say is he's right on a lot of things. And I wanted to kind of touch base on the whole Bill Barr thing and play this video from Eric Trump earlier um, where he talks about Bill Barr and what he had to say, which by the way, Bill Barr should not have been there. There was a conflict of interest. Long story, another time. But let's watch this quick video because I think it's quite fascinating. He now is executive vice president of the Trump Organization, Eric Trump. Big E, Eric, good to talk to you, my man. So your lawyers, your dad's lawyers, are have been meeting with Jack Smith, the special counsel. On, are we going to see yet another indictment this week uh, of your father? You know, Eric, it's a, it's a very sad thing. You know, I don't know what to expect from these people. They've weaponized the system so badly. Uh, it oh, shoot. I was talking and nobody could hear me. That sucks. I'm so sorry about that. I apologize. I was yapping away and nobody could hear me. I apologize. So having said that, Jack Smith, remember he was appointed, right? He was appointed while he was overseas and he was in Europe, right? Exactly where, exactly where, okay, pay attention, the Ministry of Defense documentarians that were following Roger Stone around were.
Not only that, he had access to Five Eyes data from places like, I don't know, GTEC, right? Or some other spinoff of the Analysis Corporation. And shall we enter into Mr. Hayden's environment? Shall we go to West Exec? Shall we, shall we? How the hell do you appoint someone overseas as special counsel and have him hang out in Europe because he broke his leg? Get out of here. Nobody says you can. I've seen people fly with broken legs, arms, torsos, oxygen tanks, even in freaking wheelchaired beds. And he couldn't come over to the States considering he was appointed. He was appointed as a special counsel. Ask yourself, why did he get with foreign intelligence collecting information? And as I've said this before, and I said this in July of last year, they were going to raid the president. They did. The indictments came out, but you got to look at the one in Georgia, which I want to make mention. For those of you in the Georgia State group, we'll be getting together very soon. I will be coming down to Georgia because we have some work to do super quick. I mean, what's the best way to fix a problem? Well, you throw a wrench in it and see where the cogs stop. So Georgia, I'll be coming down your way. We've got some serious work to do. I'll be coming down there for two reasons. One, for the people. Two, to get the people that I need to file the lawsuit against the J6 committee. Those are the two things. How am I going to do it? I don't know, because I really still have to file this lawsuit against Frank LaRose to start the conversation on the election fraud again. But, you know, I got another $10,000 bill, which, mind you, I'm going to bitch right now. Sorry, Eric, I'm taking up a little bit of your time, and I'll start you up again. But here's where I get really angry. So yesterday, I had over $1,200 in chargebacks come out of my account. This morning, I had someone else who bought a subscription on May 1st for $5. That just cost me $15.95 because they're too stupid to cancel a subscription. Rather, they'd go through their bank and charge me an extra $10.95 because they don't feel like doing it. Please don't do that because your names are documented by, you know, the systems. And it's not me, as I've said, you know, that's going to do anything. You know, this thing is going to ping back on you. And I want to stress that you're causing me stress, which means if you're causing pain to someone else, you better believe it. It's coming back to you because I got a wedding to do and you guys can't do that shit to me. So for all you trolls out there, I'm telling you now and I'm declaring this. You do shit to cause me harm, it's going to come back to you twofold and almost instantly. Made that declaration because I'm tired of it. So now let's go back to Bill Barr and what he said, who shouldn't have been, you know, <laughs> uh, the attorney general because there was a conflict of interest. And this Jack Smith situation, which is quite interesting. So let's hear it with no commentary further from me. President of the Trump Organization, Eric Trump. Big E, Eric, good to talk to you, my man. So your lawyers, your dad's lawyers, are have been meeting with Jack Smith, the special counsel. On, are we going to see yet another indictment this week uh, of your father? You know, Eric, it's a, it's a very sad thing. You know, I don't know what to expect from these people. They've weaponized the system so badly. Uh, it's so crooked. It's so corrupt. You see people's wives. Uh, you see the platforms they take. You see the way they've weaponized systems in New York. And... Um, in all these various states, you see what they did in, in Georgia, right? I mean, they are hell-bent on taking down Donald Trump no matter, you know, what he hasn't done. It doesn't matter. Uh, they're willing to fabricate anything. We saw with Russia. Um, we saw three years of hell. Our entire family did. Uh, that came out. That was totally debunked. But it had ruined so many lives. It cost hundreds of millions of dollars. It was legal fee after legal fee. 
we didn't even get an apology from anybody until, you know, I mean, obviously the Durham report came out and really spoke to the true corruption. And then what do they do after all of that? After torturing somebody for three years unjustly, they raid a person's house and they go through, you know, their young son's room and they go through Melania's closets and they go through everything else. And um, they have you know, 30 FBI agents that storm into Mar-a-Lago and they go through that and they put them through hell again. And then they conjure up investigations in New York and they conjure up um, and weaponize district attorneys and attorney generals all over the place. I mean, they are hell bent on taking Donald Trump out no matter um, how they do it. And and Eric, you know, we saw this. They tried to get to my father through the executive branch and it didn't work. And now they try and come after him civilly and they try and come after him criminally. And it's part of the game and it's part of the corruption we see in this country. And uh, the FBI is losing a lot of trust. Um, I can tell you out there on the street every single day, people say, I, I no longer trust law enforcement in this nation. That's actually a very scary thing for the United States of America, who's about to, supposed to stand for the rule of law above everything else. I'll tell you what they don't do, this, this uh, overzealous Department of Justice. You know what they don't do, Eric? They don't go after anyone named Biden. They seem to love to go after people named Trump, and they don't go after Biden. The reason why I say this is it's in the news this week that the FBI is stonewalling a House investigation into Hunter Biden by not turning over some FBI a document, a whistleblower's document, that could implicate Vice President Biden at the time, President Biden right now. For some reason, it feels like a two-tier justice system, Eric, one for Trump and one for someone named Biden or maybe anyone liberal. And, and Eric, I think that's what's depressing for me, right? Listen, Hunter Biden's a screwed-up kid who's got a lot of problems and everything else. God bless people with, you know, drug addiction, and we all know many of them. Uh, it's obviously something that's very close to, to your heart. You know, but when you look at what Biden did, Hunter Biden specifically, when you look at these shady deals, when you look at the nonsense, when you look at the fact that literally the grandchildren of, of Bidens are getting money from Romania, getting money from China, uh, yet when my father was in office, hotels that we owned way prior to the presidency, they would file emoluments lawsuits against us because somebody would go up to the bar and order a martini and they say, how dare you sell a martini to a foreigner, right? So a business that we were in long before my father even contemplating getting into politics, we have to go to the Supreme Court and say, listen, it's not an emolument to sell a martini in a hotel that you had years before somebody took the presidency, somebody who's out of the company, has nothing to do with the company. But yet, you know, Haley it, it Biden feels like money it feels from like countries all over the world. I mean, well, what's, what's wrong with that? Like, millions. What are they providing? Millions. Millions. It feels like they go after... You've been to these hotels. You know what service I sell. We sell beds. We sell... You know, uh, obviously great hotel rooms, great experiences. We're in the hospitality business, F&B. What service are they selling? That's what I'm wondering. No one can yeah, answer the question. So I, they don't look at, I, you know, no one knows. doesn't look and, at them, and, but they go after us all day long. That's the problem. That's the problem. I mean, look, if you want to be fair, you're supposed to be fair. Justice is supposed to be blind. You know, the little balance with the well, lady, lady liberty or justice has, has a, a blindfold on because it shouldn't matter who you're investigating. You want to be fair. You want to go after a Trump like that, then do the same thing to the Bidens. Or how about this? You just equal equal handed across across the board, Eric. Listen to Bill Barr today on CBS. Just one other crazy example before oh, we get just, off that. Look at all of, look at all of yeah. you know, Joe Biden's boxes. They were at the Penn Center. They were in Chinatown. You know, it's funny. There's a leak every single day about Mar-a-Lago coming through the Washington Post. Every single day. Do you ever hear about a leak coming from the Biden side? Do you ever hear about a leak? I, I, I absolutely love Eric Trump. I'm sorry. I had to interject before he goes into that. But he's so right. Remember Hillary Clinton's bathroom Pakistani in some freaking garage in the bathroom next to a toilet where she had servers? Like, nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about how much money 
Hunter and Joe were making and how much money Obama was making. Nobody wants to talk about that, but they want to talk about Mar-a-Lago, which by the way, I just want to toot my own horn because no one's going to toot it for me. I was right. I was right. It was one of the maintenance people. I was right. It was the contracting company. I was freaking right. And the question is, if I'm right, how is it that all of these smart people couldn't figure it out? And I did it in my pajamas from Cleveland. Well, okay, I'm different. So whatever. But I'm trying to point out that there is a lot of misinformation and a lot of, you know, wiping things with like a broad brush. Okay. And it's unacceptable that we're allowing these broad brushes, just like what he's doing now. Eric wants to talk about it and he's very right to, he needs to be able to be vocal about exactly these things. You know their business. So if a Russian flies in for Russia to go see New York or Chicago and they stay at the Trump, he's not allowed to give him one of those really awesome espresso martinis. Get out of here. Or one of the best burgers, you know, at Trump Tower, he's not going to eat it. They, by the way, the truffle burger is really, really good. You know, why not? What are they selling? That's what they're selling. Food, beds, hospitality, and an experience. What are they selling? What did Schiff sell? when he sat down with Igor Pasternak and raised millions of dollars to give him $75 million from the Department of Defense budget to imagine blimps. Get out of here. That's the where, that's where it is. And, and, and it's so upsetting to see, and it's so unfortunate to see that our voices and those that represent us as the people are not mainstream yet. You know, Jason, for example, that I had on, fantastic guy. I know him quite well. And see, it would be beneficial if voices like his on Unleashed were out. Or Lara Logan. What they did to her at Newsmax was ridiculous. What they did to her at Fox, ridiculous. You know, these are the things, these are the people that we want heard the people that speak common sense that are in the middle, right? That have experience. And that's the thing. We have a lot of inexperienced people talking and running their mouth, you know, on Twitter, on truth, on Facebook, on Instagram that pretend to know shit. And it's like, you know, absolutely fuck all. Why are you talking? Truth dossier to drunk dump on that? Why not? I'm game on truth dossiering freaking, you know, all these influencers. Then there's people that kind of know. And then they're like, well, I don't know this. So that's got to be bullshit. No, it means that you're not cleared to know that shit. There are things that even the president of the United States, believe it or not, that's true, has no idea exist. There are things that the secretary of defense has no idea they exist, right? There are so many things that you have no idea exists. Like Jason said, why would we go after Russia? First of all, Russia doesn't want to eliminate us. They're like the Saudis. They kind of like us because it's competition. We buy, they buy, you know, kind of like that, right? But also, they've got nukes up the bejeez, okay? And they've got them on top of our heads. We won't even see it coming. So, you know, what we have seen over the past few years, and this is where it changes this summer, You've seen a lot of these stupid podcasters and just people hanging on to, oh my God, this thirsty thing, you know, uh, you know, trying to push narratives. And, and the thing is, there's a lot of people that are in it for themselves, you know, <laughs> like Charlie Kirk. But the bottom line is you can, you can talk to people that you don't like because of their values and maybe hopefully change them, right? 
So I'm just making it clear, right? That, that you can have conversations with people that are sitting on the other side very easily because it only takes one moment for that person to hit that, that cord within them to be like, wait a minute, we can see eye to eye on this. And that's what's important. We need to be pushing more of that, more of the conversation with all sides. You know, we don't have to worry about, you know, like I said, if I see someone on my feed say, oh, Stu Peters said that. So it's like Stu Peters is handled. Get out of here. Stop out. You know, when he wasn't handled, when he was like, hey, Tori, you want to be on my show? And I was like, sure, we can talk about it. Next day, he was on Alex Jones. Last time I ever heard from him. Got it? All they do is take sloppy seconds from people that are actually the source of information. And then they inject misinformation inside of it to confuse the shit out of everyone. What we have seen over the past years is people take a bona fide information, amplify it with their own perspectives. And most of these people were making smoothies or selling fucking online cosmetics and shit for like Mary Kay and other shit, right? That was their job where they sat in their trailer laughing and cackling, right? That was their job, right? And then suddenly they're experts. You got to really reevaluate how you see things in life in general. Not to say that someone, (laughs) I can't even say this shit out loud without getting upset. And that's why I have a throwing phone, right? Our president has stood in the gap for all of us. He has taken hits. His kids have taken hits. Eric, uh, you know, you can see it in his face. He's like so tired of this. Even though he looks really good. Like, what is he doing? Is he doing some Botox right there? Because he looks really, really good. I mean, he's got to keep up with the looks of Lara too, right? Because she's super hot. Do you guys watch her Instagram videos? Like, I watch her and while she's working out, I'm working out watching her work out. But again, you know, like he said, the discrepancies here. We have people that are in phantasmical worlds <laughs> claiming phantasmical things, right? And, you know, we have phantasmical people <laughs> telling you more phantasmical things. But when we get down to the crux of it, right, this is real life. It's not a game. And I think people see this as a game rather than real life. And that's, a, that's a actually a very big problem, okay? Very big problem. You know, uh, like, let let me put it this way. The Miles Guell, right? The arrest. I had a conversation with a couple of the Chinese people there. Let me, let me, let me explain to you a few things. As you understand, China has 20% of the population. The reason the CCP was created was to contain them. And I'll tell you why. Out of all ancient civilizations that exist, be the Greek empire, the Romans kind of fall under that, okay? And then we've got the, the, um, the Arab empires, right? African empires, right? The Chinese empires for eons were the most disciplined. They were the most disciplined. And I want you to understand the tactic as to why they created the CCP. Discipline is necessary in order to contain something you consider a threat. And I want you to imagine something, and and it's going to feel a little bit scary, and you're going to be like, oh, shit, I see it now. Imagine if China were free and they were not CCP right now. I want you to just imagine that for a second. 20% of the world's population is now free. 
They don't have to abide by certain rules. They're not harvesting people. People aren't being raised for parts. Uh, you know, they're not doing atrocious things to the people because they're just commodities to them because that's the way the structure is in China, right? In regards to their casties and how they uh, continue uh, the evolution. The, this is a nation that has terraformed a desert, okay? They're not little people. This is a nation that is built in a, a hotel, as I showed you, in like a day from nothing, okay? So that's a lot of people with a lot of work ethic, and culturally, they still adhere to family values too. Respect your elders, watch over your mom and dad when they're old. You don't just dump them in nursing homes. They still adhere to the core values of family, yet they're extremely disciplined. So I want you to think of a time, let's say today, we're like, okay, the Chinese have no more CCP. They're free. Do you know what that means? 20% of the world's population will expand throughout the world they will eliminate the majority of the Western world. And I'll tell you how. You remember how they were making those theories? Oh, you know, with all these, you know, Muslims and Arabs moving into the West, they create a lot of babies and they'll replace us, you know? Here we are with, they will replace us as active citizens generally. I want you to understand that. They do algebra at the age of seven. They speak multiple languages. They're smart. They're disciplined. Huh. If you take 10 Chinese young people at the age of 18 and take 10 random Americans, the random Americans will be dead in a heartbeat. So I want you to think of how terrifying it is to all the nations of the world if there was no CCP. Pay attention. Pay attention. So we have that. But on the other hand, we don't need these atrocities ongoing. So Miles Guo, who's super smart, said, oh, you know, we'll have a thousand-year peace treaty, right? That's not, you know, that's not going to work. So what we have to do is understand why it was created, heal from that, because once they figure out the truth, which is, hey, CCP was created to keep us in check. Now, this is where you see the real Chinese empire and a very organic one. CCP empire, a very organic one. So I want you to understand the notion of why all these nations are terrified of, this, of, of China and the termination of the CCP. Just paying attention, you know, pay attention to that. Now, is it meritful? It is meritful if you're looking at it from a business perspective and a survival perspective, right? And what do the Chinese respect and don't disrespect? Because if they respect something, they will not annihilate it. If they don't respect it, they will annihilate it. So this is a very interesting time that we are at where we understand things, right? How they come. This century is the transition period. The new millennia was the entrance into the transition period. At the end of this century, the transition begins. So in 2100, you will see the changes. Now, most of us won't be here. I don't think many of us want to be here. And that happens. It's never pretty during transition. It's always messy. Fucked up hair, right? <laughs> Don't know where you're going. Floods and shit, fires, whatever. It's a transition period. And what remains will be history. And it's definitely not going to be the suburban housing because those are made of twigs and shit. So those will go up in flames. I hope you understand what I'm saying. 
And um, America 250 will solidify its adherence to it going forward. So again, the indictments on President Trump, the ones coming out of Georgia are going to be crazy shit. I really wish I could have been in Georgia earlier, but I have a wedding that I feel like I'm bleeding money. I feel like I have to go to 42nd Street and like pimp myself out, seriously. Like how are things so expensive? And, and not only that, I bought half and half. How, when did that turn into $5? Tell me. What the heck is going on? $5 for half and half. Who does that? <laughs> Who spends five? Oh my gosh. And it was uh, off brand too. But anyway, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it again. I won't. I won't. Now what we got to do is make sure that our kids are going to be fine going forward. And so I paused it at this place because what Eric tells you for the next two and a half minutes is super crucial. And you know why? Because they don't even bother. They don't take the time. It's not real journalism. They don't go after them. And, and there are no leaks. They, they want to leak it to damage one person. They don't want to leak anything on the other side if they're even taking the other side seriously. Yeah, let's take a listen to Bill Barr today on CBS. If I had to bet, I would bet that it's near. You believe there is enough evidence? Well, they won't indict if there's not enough evidence. But from what I've seen, uh, there's substantial evidence there. Yeah, well, a lot of help he was. I mean, Bill Barr clearly uh, looking for his next job as an analyst on CBS. They won't indict if there's not enough evidence. Look at the DA of New York who indicted my father for $130,000, spent hundreds of millions of dollars just shutting down the city to bring him in here, uh, paraded him through a city over a confidentiality agreement, something that's signed uh, every single day in, you know, uh, all, all across America with two people, uh, both of whom admitted nothing ever happened, um, you know, they won't indict? Are you kidding me? They'll, they'll indict my father. You know, they always say yeah. they can indict a ham sandwich. They'll indict my father for jaywalking. They'll indict my father for going five yeah. miles an hour over the speed limit. They will make up something to fabricate to indict my father because he's leading the Republican nomination. He's leading the entire field. He's running ahead of DeSantis by 40 points. They know he's going to be the presumptive nominee. They know he's going to be the guy that's going after Biden, who's probably the most disastrous president this nation's ever seen. We're a nation that is in decline. My father says that all the time. We're a nation that's failing on every single front. And now all of a sudden, you've got one of the most effective presidents in the history of this country, if not the most effective, who's going to actually plead that case to the American people in a very loud way, which my father can do better than anybody. And they want to take him out of the race because they know none of the other candidates in the Republican field can do so nearly as well. That's what they're trying to do. It's plain and simple. They're weaponizing the justice system. They're weaponizing the FBA. We've already seen this before. They've weaponized the DOJ. They're weaponizing local prosecutors all to go after a person that they don't want to be commander in chief of the United States. It's that simple. Very simple. And you have a right to be fired up and pissed off, frankly, Eric Trump. We really appreciate your time. You're right. You're right. You should be pissed off too, Eric. What the hell are you talking about? See, that's the problem we have. People aren't angry enough. Well, we're going to make you really angry this summer. Who's ready for that? That's what has to happen. We got to make it really stupid. Really stupid. And you know what? All of you need to invest in a throwing phone. Go on. Buy, buy yourself a throwing phone. Because the shit you're about to see this summer is gonna blow your mind. And the crap that people will be spewing, blow your mind. Eric should be pissed too, boiling, not just the Trumps. He should be boiling, his blood should be boiling.
But, you know, now we have Governor Burgum who's coming in with Microsoft vaccine, who WEF money to annihilate everything. Huh? Oh, North Dakota, northern border. No one pays attention. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. He's going to be the one that's going to be running as a Democrat. <laughs> but you all thought he was a Republican, didn't you? He's running as a Democrat. He's the governor of the state that deleted 23 years of AG emails that the NSA already has anyway. Just dig your hole, Doug, because we got shovels. and We'll help you dig that hole. So that way you can jump in voluntarily. See, this is where it gets real stupid. It's about time we get a little bit more stupid. Let's all pull out those shovels and dig those holes for them. Help them out. Be like, yo, Doug, you running? Let me help. Grab a shovel. Let's go. Because they're going to be jumping right back in there. Because we're going to have who? WEF, Soros, Microsoft money jumping in. But we already knew that because he was pictured at a certain place in January of 2020, right before they had a party. What was it? A COVID unleashed party. Oh, and by the way, if you're in one of those places that have a lot of dust in the air, I urge to remind you that we had a vaping disease that was identical to COVID that was in vapes. Remember when President Trump took them off the market? Mm? Well, you know, particulates being inhaled is a big deal. So if you've got a dusty environment, I would say wear your rag when out in public just to be safe. Because like Pelosi said, we're going to fumigate people. Always take your own precautions as you wish. I walk through fire naked because I'm like, dude, I'm ready to go home. So on that note, I'm going to see you guys tomorrow. It's going to be fun tomorrow. We're going to unpack some stuff. On that note, Damien Pearl thinks I forgot about him and he's about to fuck around and find out. God bless everyone. Pennywise flags blue